This Tuesday, Ireland head to Sweden in a bid to keep their World Cup hopes alive. Five yards out, in towards O'Sullivan with the header! And a hat-trick! Full live and exclusive commentary on Tuesday at 5.30, only on OTB Sports Radio. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's half past seven. It's Monday morning. It's Jaron Owen with you all the way through until 10 a.m. this morning. Normally on the show, this is the bit where I lie and say we're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, but tonight to this morning, there you go, already screwed up. We're uh, a bit bleary-eyed. I, I got sucked in, Owen. Instead of just going to bed and realising that the game was up, McElroy made just enough of a charge to think, okay, well, what if what if Sheffer goes in the water? I might, I might miss something. So, like, I, I actually had turned the phone off at one point and left the notifications on. And the phone opened, so therefore the whole room was into brightness as it was like, oh, blah, 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 happened. I can't even remember what, what stage of the evening it was and then ended up watching pretty much until the end. A good decision or a bad decision? I don't know, a bad, bad decision. I mean, okay, so I, I saw the, the bunker shot, which was great, and Rory's excitement, and that's good. But, like, it wasn't close. It, we, we lulled ourselves into this weird sense that this is somehow close when it wasn't. No, and... Cameron Smith did exactly what everybody wanted Scotty Scheffler to do. And uh, unfortunately, the most hated man in the world right uh, last night, Scotty Scheffler, <laughs> went and played good golf and uh, held his nerve after an early wobble, I think it's fair to say. I think that was the chance. That was the opportunity for drama to happen, was the third hole. If he had gone, if he had run past the flag there, yeah. the Sky commentary were, were pr- pretty convinced that it was, it was an exceptional shot and it was going to stop a couple of feet after the hole. And they'd obviously know better than most people so that was probably going to be the truth but I'm not sure about that I'm not sure if that doesn't go in it's a, it's a straightforward put for Scheffler so I think that looking out there and he deserved his luck for, for sure just got him back onto an even keel because those first couple of holes were definitely shaky and even in the aftermath in the, in the post round interview McElroy pointed out that his driving disintegrated over the last five or six holes and like the, the birdie on 18 isn't a fluke but it's a fluke you know it's a, a get out of jail birdie to add a tiny little bit of pressure and Sheffer missed the birdie putt on the, around about the same time uh, or was that one of his few bogeys in the back line I can't even remember it has definitely all blended no the, the birdie putt around that time yeah, yeah. he misses yeah but it, it wasn't enough like he you know as, as McElroy said it's his best ever round uh, it was one shot off the course record he needed to set a new course record to put the pressure properly on Sheffer but that three stroke cushion was always going to be enough for the world number one who was playing amazing golf all week. Yeah, yeah, dominant. It, it was only ever going to be Cameron Smith if it wasn't going to be Scotty Scheffler, really. And, like, uh, McIlroy did exactly what he needed to do on the final day, but unfortunately just hadn't enough done on the, the first couple of days. So it was always going to be a head-to-head, and I think that once Scheffler saw Smith hit the water on 12, I think that was it. That was, that was certainly game over in his view. Although there was clearly still nerves there. I mean, <laughs> his, uh, his inability to get the ball in the hole on 18 was, uh, was pretty funny. It took him uh, three putts, and he eventually... I was a double bogey the 18th in the in the end. So uh, there was definitely like he said it afterwards that he was in tears the morning of his his final round. He said he just he, he was really really struggling to handle the nerves of the the final round. And you know even his, his wife was saying stuff like I mean if you don't win you know I'm still going to love you. Uh, still, it's all going to be fine <laughs> if you don't win. Uh, <laughs> as, like, as, as she was, what, was uh, making breakfast on Sunday by all accounts. So uh, he, like I mean he, he kind of opened up on that yesterday. But outside of that, his public pronouncements and all that were very refined and, and, and very put together over the few days, especially on Saturday after he was interviewed, knowing that he'd be sleeping on a massive lead going into the final round at Augusta. He, he was asked, you know, are you going to think about the green jacket? And he was like, yeah, not really. And there was a very kind of chilled out 
relaxed version of Sheffield that he put out there. But as we now know, it was exactly the opposite. And I think it's the same for most people who are going after their first title at Augusta. Yeah, and like, look, he is obviously an incredible golfer and uh, that's going to be one of those stories. Um, Larry, if he hadn't had his triple bogey, we might have seen a bit more of him. There's people in our Twitter feed complaining about how few shots of his on the final round we saw. And there was definitely a five or six hole gap almost in the, in the immediate aftermath of the triple bogey where it was like, well, there's no point in showing him anymore. And then he ends up finishing third. Um which is a, a re- remarkable, excellent performance, but he will be very disappointed that Saturday went the way it did because he must be feeling that there was another five or six shots out there for him. Yeah, and it, it, he would have been in a great position if he had you know, been maybe one back behind Smith going into the final day so that he wasn't in that final group and that, you know, I, I guess Scheffler would have had an eye on him going forward. That's exactly what you want to be when, when you're chasing, but he had left himself just a little bit too much to do on the final day. Like it's hard to know what would have happened if he didn't have that triple bogey early on. Would he have still finished in, in excellent fashion? Kind of felt like he was playing angry golf at the end and it worked for him. And it's like, like I mean, we can't uh, deny the fact that this was an excellent Irish tint on this Masters leaderboard with, uh, with, with a second and third place at the Masters. It's, it, it's pretty incredible. I'm yeah, we're a bit blasé about it, aren't we? Like, yeah, we, we definitely take this sort of stuff for granted. And, uh, like, I mean, there were, like, Larry in particular was, was excellent throughout the week and I think a lot of people have said and I know John in his virtual insanity picks last week always makes the point that Augusta's kind of suited to Larry and he hasn't played it enough times for him to be haunted by the things that have gone wrong for him at the course. But what will happen is that today will go down probably as, or this week will go down as, as a really positive experience and that's the sort of bedrock of confidence that maybe means that you're looking at Larry as a contender next year Alright uh, Did you watch everything else over the weekend? Yeah basically basically yeah, from Connacht Leinster on Friday to the, the jumble of stuff on, on Saturday and yesterday really a lot of, lot of dual screening going on Kind of uh, forgotten Saturday What happened Saturday? I suppose you had Ulster Toulouse oh, on Saturday yeah. you had Manchester United against Everton you had Munster against Exeter you had the Masters obviously on, on Saturday um, Arsenal oh. Arsenal on Saturday how much of the Arsenal-Brighton game did you watch? A good bit, to be fair. You called it the slow car crash, the fast car crash. Turns out it was a... Mm, not surprising. It was a blowout back tyre on the Autobahn. Yeah, yeah, they've kind of like regressed massively and like nobody could foresee the injuries that they would have, except maybe Kieran Tierney because he's quite injury prone, but uh, nobody could have uh, foreseen the, the full extent of what it would have done. And like, I mean, they have a same, we, but as a result of two injuries, their entire midfield has been completely wiped out. And once you lose your midfield, you're screwed. And Tottenham Hotspur, it turns out, are very, very good. And they were always going to keep the pressure on. And maybe anyway, even if Arsenal had everybody fit, they would have gone into that North London derby on the last Thursday of the season, the third last game or whatever it is, and got beaten anyway. Turns out that game is actually not going to matter anymore, which is uh, disappointing. Unless Arsenal win every game between now and then and Spurs drop a few points, which isn't beyond the bounds of possibility no. because they do have to play Liverpool. No, and um, I, I don't know, I was searching when the news came through about Matt Doherty and his injury and him being out for the rest of the season. I was searching on Twitter for him and found a... Uh, Spurs equivalent of Arsenal fan TV and uh, they had christened him Diego Maradocherty. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, why do we, what? we never thought of this. Yeah. But they were, and there was like a little bit of pushback. It was like, no, 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 I'm not having it. It's like, um, and then his stats since Conte has put him in the team were off the charts. Like the most creative, most goal involvements of, any, I think Trent was ahead of him. As a as a right back, but everybody else wasn't. Nobody else was was ahead of him. So 
Diego Maradocherty, we salute you on your your recovery this season, and we wish you the very best and a very speedy recovery. And we hope that you get back to the form that you're in because. Um, you know, there's a three or four years at the top level of the Premier League ahead of him if he can just get back fit. Um, get more details on that injury for you a little bit later on in the show. But 7.38 this morning, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. Mark Lawrence at 10 past eight. Sports pages at half eight. Uh, Ashing O'Reilly's in Sweden for the Republic of Ireland and their qualifier, which is uh, live tomorrow at half past five. Uh, Alan Quinn is going to join us today at 50. Nathan's going to join us at 10 past nine. We're going to hear from Fiona Hayes about the weekend's rugby around about half past nine as well. But at 7.38, it's time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second-half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. Boom. We, as ever, on a Monday morning, go through the uh, the good, the bad and the grand from the weekend sport. We will start with the bad, as ever, and a couple of football talking points here we're going with a list of individuals today. We're, we're calling people out, uh, or actually just uh, pointing out how unlucky they've been in certain situations. Not quite sure who's um, who's in a, in a worse situation this morning. Matt Doherty, obviously, the season's over. But Eric Ten Hag, walking in the door at Manchester United, mustn't be an overly excited man after what he's seeing at the moment for Manchester United. The result on Saturday, uh, another disaster for United. Didn't really look like they were up for the game whatsoever after what Burnley had done to Everton midweek and then for that Everton team to turn Manchester United over is humiliating for Fortress Goodison, Frank Lampard, he's back. It it, it exists. It's definitely a thing, Fortress Goodison. And also, you kind of have to to laugh at Burnley getting beaten at the weekend as well, right? On the road, after Sean Dyche was saying these lads won't leg, loving us. They're, They're on the road. They can't do anything on the road. Burnley go on the road this weekend, last weekend. And they end up getting beaten, which is uh, quite funny. I mean, you got to give at like, Norwich, yeah, at Norwich. Sorry, that is the the key point here. Uh, you got to feel a little bit uh, happy for Frank Lampard getting getting that one back over no. Sean Dyche. Oh no, I'm I'm having it. I'm. I, yeah, you like Frank Lampard? No, I, I like him in this situation. I, I like Frank Lampard. When, You'd pick when, Lampard over Dyche. In, in this week, I think it's pretty funny when people have egg on their face, and even if even if I love them or hate them. Right. It's, well, there was no egg, 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 egg to go around. I mean, maybe Lampard makes it out now. It looks like. Looks like he's going to get... I, look, this is definitely one of those relegation battles where you can't pencil in points for anybody just yet. No. Um, so on, on Ten Hag... Uh, Why is he in the red? Come on, he's got like the best job in the world, right? Antonio Conte has just said this week, it's amazing that we have a week off. Harry Kane is so unbusy, he ends up doing golf commentary for Sky at the Masters last night. He was like a walk-on... Late call up. Come on, you're here. You can come on. What? You just played football yesterday against. No game for a week because they're out of everything. We're out of every cup, says Antonio Conte. That's what's important. And that's what's going to be the situation for the new Manchester United manager next year. They're not even going to be good enough to qualify for the European Conference League, which is exactly what you want if you're coming in. You're like, I've got a week to prepare for every game. I'm going to get knocked out of the League Cup very early. I'm going to throw my hat at the FA Cup and say, no thanks in my first season. Bad omen for Dutch managers winning the FA Cup. At Manchester United, and uh, I'll have no games except the the thirty odd league games, and that's it. That that will be ideal. There's still a chance, obviously, that they qualify for the Conference League or the Europa League if Arsenal and West Ham drop uh, like lead over the next couple of weeks, which is which isn't beyond the bounds of possibility. But like away from that, I'm I'm talking about Ten Hag looking at what Manchester United has done to managers over the last little while, and I'm not saying the ma- the managers are like not guilty or uh, you know culpable in in any failings at the club. 
I'm just saying name a manager post Alex Ferguson who has come out of Manchester United without their reputation in tatters. Maybe Van Hal to a point, but his reputation has been diminished rather than being destroyed and being left in tatters. Whereas, like, you look at everybody else and it seems that their stock has plummeted. And Ten Hag knows that and his, he's going into this with his eyes wide open. And he looks at a man like Ralph Ranić, whose stock was pretty high, you'd have to say, last December and was, was well thought of. Maybe that doesn't matter. Maybe reputation isn't important. But it definitely feels that the Ralph Ranić stocks have plummeted over the last little while. And it's hard to even know if he's the guy to blame because so many other managers have come in and failed miserably. On top of that then, like, because we pointed the fingers at managers for so long over the last little while, I think maybe the players and their quality, uh, and I'm talking about them as footballers, not as people, uh, their, their quality maybe has been glossed over a little bit. Like you look at the quality of Manchester City against Liverpool yesterday, yeah. and you look at even at their peak, this at their it. peak form, how many of these Manchester United players were get in there? I love, love a combined 11. If None. You, if you want to. Um, the only th- people that could be on the precipice of making it would be peak Bruno Fernandes. And what position, though? Instead of who? Well, yeah. That's None. The, well, OK, but that, that's when we get into that. But, like, I'm, I'm talking about the quality of the player. He, he could potentially, at his peak last season, could have made it into one of those teams. And maybe, maybe peak Borussia Dortmund, Jadon Sancho. But I, I think they're both, no. they're, they're both leaps. I'm just, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying maybe. But, like, the reality is that Manchester City wouldn't look at Manchester United and say, if, if I got a free transfer, a free 10-year deal on that guy, or a free, whatever, two-year deal on that guy, whatever is better, uh, I would take that person. And I think that illustrates the, the massive problem that Ten Hag has because the expectation isn't going to dim. Every new manager who's come into Manchester United has got this expectation of, like, we're back. Well... The expectation has been blown up now by the fact that they are so bad at the moment. As it stands, they wouldn't qualify for the Conference League. Uh, they are a they're behind on goal difference. West Ham, but they have a game in hand, mm. so there's a danger they might qualify for it. Yes, that would be an absolute nightmare. But then again, like they they have such pride in their academy that letting the the kids yeah. go out and play every week in the Conference yeah. League may not be the worst thing. The Europa League, in a way, might actually be the worst situation because they're thinking to themselves might actually go and win this and try and qualify for the Champions League. The Conference League, the prize is only to qualify for the Europa League, so there would be no incentive and you could just play the kids in that, which, which might be bad. And, and that is what Ten Hag's job, assuming he is going to be Manchester United manager, by the way, is going to, to be that. I just wonder, will he have the ability to, to, to be given patience? And, and did, we, did we underrate the job that Solskjaer was doing with this shower? Yes. Yes, 100%. And that's not to say that Solskjaer is a good manager or a great manager or anything like that, but there, it definitely felt like all of us, I definitely thought that Solskjaer was, was largely at fault because I thought that Bruno Fernandes would get into the Manchester City slash Liverpool team last season. I thought that maybe a, a fully firing version of Pogba, if there was like a manager with real credentials, could have been something that Manchester United fans could have seen. Those two players in particular at, at their very best could have brought Manchester United to, to a better level, but, but maybe actually we didn't focus enough on the, the lack of quality in the squad. Like nobody needs to hear anything more about Harry Maguire or Cristiano Ronaldo, but at both ends of the pitch, they've, they've got uh, they've got just two two really really poor signings at this point, and you've got Ronaldo slapping a phone out of a fan's hand and smashing it on the ground, and there's an investigation into assault right now. It's just everything that that could possibly go wrong. The soap opera is it's like it's verging on dream team territory, you know. Yeah, which is actually the time that you want to be coming into a situation like this where expectations are low. You get to say that player, 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 and that player are gone, and anybody you bring in uh, should be better. Now, that that isn't always the case. They they bought. Remember who was the Southampton midfielder they bought that we'd forgotten about? Schneiderlin. Yeah, like they they might sign a lot of Schneiderlins again. That's possible. Uh, a lot of players who just aren't capable of stepping up and who aren't good enough. So it's not guaranteed that it's going to automatically be better next season, but. 
you would say this is the, the floor for how bad it can get when the amount of money that they have available to spend on wage on the wage bill is what it is. You should always be able to buy some quality at that level. You would think so. But then again, like it felt that Ralph Ranyak was in a similar enough position at the turn of the year when he came in that, you know, this is a free pass essentially for a manager coming in. Not a very active <laughs> transfer window though, right? Yeah. Like, but Because it, it, they, they had decided, I think, really quickly that he wasn't going to be the guy, that this wasn't going to be an opportunity for him. And so they, they're not quite sure what type of player they're going to buy. Whereas with Ten Hag, you would assume that, you would assume Donny van de Beek gets an opportunity next season to, to fit into the team and the system. And that, um, you know, he'll have between uh, the summer and uh, Christmas to see if he can make it at Manchester United with a manager who understands what he's actually capable of. Or else he comes in and burns him out straight away and it's like, well, I actually know what he's capable of. No, thanks. I don't want that. I want better players. So, you know, it's not... I, I see the point in Ten Hag and um, I, I would have I actually said that he's a winner. The, the, the further they fall between now and his official arrival, the better it is for him because he looks better with each passing moment. Well, like he, he will look better at each passing moment once he's in the hot seat and actually manages to get some results. Like As, as I say, I think that there's, they've tried a lot of different tactics with the manager and a lot of different types of managers and they've all failed. Think of it as the Andy Reid slash Wes Hulen impact. When you're not playing, <laughs> you can't do yourself any damage. When you're not managing, you're not at the club, you can't make any decisions just yet, nothing to do with you. This is not my shit show. This is Ralph Rannick and, uh, and the football hierarchy's problem, not mine. Yeah, potentially, but like I, I, my point is that he's quite worried. I, I would suspect looking at looking at what's happening over the last little while, and right. I, I just ho- hoping rather than expecting that he'll be given the patience. James McCullough, what is Owen smoking? McElroy's in the amber after almost pulling off the greatest comeback since Lazarus, but Munster Rugby are missing after following up a poor performance with another worse one. James McCullough, red Munster Rugby, thirteen man Exeter were disappointed they didn't win by more against Munster in the Champions Cup following their previous week's performance. This was atrocious. We'll get into the details of Munster chapter and verse with Alan Quinlan a little bit later on. But uh, who, who else have you got in the red? I'd also like to kind of spread the love between the sports. We've got Robert Balakun coming your way in the green in the moment. We might have a bit of a, a Munster segue or two in there. But Matt Doherty's in the red as well. Obviously, his season is over. It's probably um, Ireland that are in the red, really, as much as anything else. And Tottenham, as you say. Uh, um, Diego, Matt... Oh, sorry, what was Matt Doherty's nickname again? I've just completely... Uh, I've drawn a blank on the Diego Mar- Maradocrity. Yes, that was it. Wow. Okay, that was... Because uh, was... when you can't pronounce the name properly, it, it helps. It just really does, yeah. So uh, Diego Maradocrity. Doesn't, doesn't quite work, does it? No, he's gone. He's gone. His season's over for, for Tottenham. And it is a setback for Spurs, given the way he's been playing over the last little while. But also, it's going to be a big setback for Stephen Kenny. The Nations League games in June are huge. And I'm not sure. I think that when we get to June and we get to these Nations League games those people who thought that maybe the, the referendum on Stephen Kenny was over I, I'm not sure could it start bubbling to the four again because people would be like you said you wanted to win the Nations League or you were going to win the Nations League and now you're not doing it sort of thing I just think that there's a, a tiny bit of pressure on these Nations League fixtures and he'll want everybody available for that Matt Doherty would be a surprise now at this point given the severity of the injury the reported injury that he's going to make it It was literally wall to wall quotes about Doherty certainly in all the Irish media but all the English media as well if you were looking you were finding that people were holding him up as the exemplar of Good management from Conte, he one foot out the door and now he was back in and they were talking about him starting next season as the first choice uh, right wing back. And that's still possible depending on the severity of the injury. There's a debate about whether or not they're going to let it um, settle down or if he's going to have surgery straight away. So if they manage that properly and he's back for the start of next season, I think that would be a, a good achievement from here. 
uh, there were better stories from an Irish perspective over the course of the weekend in football just to kind of handpick a couple of them you should check out Colin Whelan's goal for UCD against Sligo he's the Ireland under 21 star uh, brilliant goal but also some vintage Joey and Doe commentary in there the welcome to heaven tagline has been given to Colin Whelan at this point and then Troy Parrish over the water again just with a, another goal for MK Dons another absolute belter for MK Dons against Wimbledon no less at the weekend a sort of beautiful volley off the outside of the boot, you know, when you're on the wrong side, the Canio style, and, and you go with the, the, the boot closest to the goal and off the inside, uh, kind of as a set play broke down. It was an absolutely sensational finish. It's a seventh goal of the, the season in League One, obviously made a, a good start to life at, at MK Dons. Things settled down for him a little bit, and then over the last little while, after going four months without a goal, he's got four goals in his last six games. So he's absolutely flying at the moment. They're obviously in the, the upper echelons of League One. They've got a couple of games in hand. It's going to be tough for them to, to get automatic promotion but he'll certainly be a playoff footballer at the end of the season, at the very least. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we move on to the grand then, the amber. And to I guess it's interesting, uh, the commenter who said there a moment ago, who said that Rory McIlroy, after one of the greatest comebacks of all time, should be in the green. And, and part of me tends to agree with that. And to kind of like stick on the, the positive side of Rory and to kick things off on, on that front... There was a lot of talk last night, that, especially from Butch Harmon, that you know Rory is back now. This is the sort of performance that, that will kind of like relaunch his career a little bit, certainly in the context of majors. And I could be very excited for, for the US PGA next month, and you might have him down as a, as a potential winner. That remains to be seen. But if he does manage to get over the line, and, and this is a sort of rocket launcher for him, regardless of whether or not he wins the Masters, you have to say that McIlroy is, is back in the conversation of being... The, the best golfer of his generation and, and beyond being in the, the, the conversation of it because it did feel over the last little while that the narrative around it was that there was a, a coterie of United States golfers who'd come through that were just better than McIlroy that, that McIlroy burst through in the you know the, the Tiger is injured and now missing phase and he filled that void brilliantly and was definitely the most talented uh, golfer who came through in those years but that kind of as I say that tranche of, of Americans were just that little bit better than him and, and Rory would struggle to be anywhere near as dominant as he, as he might have looked in the early stages of his career. So he, himself, and, and if you look at the, the current golfers of, of his generation, himself and Kepka are on four majors at the moment. Jordan Spieth is on three. DJ Marikawa are on two. And then you've got Scheffler, Ram, Bryson and JT on one. So does McIlroy end up being the most decorated major performer out of that collection of golfers there's every chance he does and I think if he does that he'll have to go down as the, the best golfer of his generation which I, I'm not sure if, if people were expecting that a couple of years ago you're saying that he is going to win more majors the evidence of yesterday would suggest that he is but I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say that he will because it's not that we've been in this exact place before like I mean he hasn't shot a 64 in the final day of Augusta National before uh, like he's had very very good days in the final day of the Masters when he's been out of contention and, and that is where he gets brought into closer to red territory here this, this idea that you know when the pressure is off Rory McIlroy delivers especially when it comes to the Masters and maybe that's the truth maybe that, maybe that is the truth but, but it wasn't necessarily a completely pressure free scenario when things started ratcheting up for him yesterday. Like, I mean, he wasn't in contention, so it's, it's not the pressure that Scheffler was feeling or anything like that, but he does walk away from yesterday now having won three of the four majors, and in the fourth major, he's come second. So he's, he's, he's right there, and 
like I feel that if McElroy wins one uh, Masters the whole idea of him being you know a, a final day merchant when there's no pressure on him that conversation will totally disappear yeah exactly but, but like the, that's just way there's no nuance in that conversation no, whatsoever like, no, so, because, and there can't be because like the whole point he, he's literally at this stage only playing to try and win that Masters in, in terms of his his legacy it's like you know that list of that very short list of career Grand Slam winners like he can keep winning if, if he was to start winning majors again I think that would be a massive breakthrough and it would definitely help him win the Masters uh, if he was to win one of the other ones but I, I I think that like we can't just pencil him in for more success in majors on the back of this like um, it's hard it's hard to like it was brilliant to see him uh, but there, there was a put on nine where it would have been four birdies in a row if he got it well he, he birdied ten so it would have been his third in a row that would have absolutely ramped up the pressure and it just couldn't get to that point where it was turning the screw in the way that like Peak Tiger would Peak Tiger have won from that situation yesterday? From McElroy's starting point? Yeah. No. You don't think that like when the charge was on and when there, there were shots being dropped? No, there was just too much of a gap. Like, it, that, and that, that's where the kind of like when there's no, the, the no pressure on McElroy situation does have I can see why people are making that argument again this morning because he had in a prayer, and like all, like it did, it did look. You know what? He, he he might do something here, but it was it was totally based on the presumption or the idea that Scheffler would drop a few shots. Like that was the whole idea that, that Rory, like Rory was putting himself into position to put the, the the scare on Scheffler, and for him to to come back a little bit. That's all. That's all he could have done yesterday. Like there's no way he could have like it wasn't in his hands, and and that's why the pressure was off. And so I, I can see why people are, are making that argument. I'm not sure if I personally agree with it, but but that's why it's there. Like, Tiger could have could have maybe bested the the course record. He could have gone to 63, 62, maybe. Like, is it enough in the end to be uh, Scotty Scheffler in the end? It's it's not. So. Well, it might be though. That's the thing we don't know. That's the the bit where you don't put the pressure on, where it's not like I need this put. You know, mm-hmm. the like Scheffler, Scheffler controlled the field. Like it was it was never in doubt. That was the point. Like the, the thing is, like uh, the, what Tiger does when he's rocketing up the leaderboard is that you hear the roar, and and that is what puts the pressure on on a leader. But McIlroy was doing that yesterday. Like you could you could hear it when television coverage was co- was covering Smith and Scheffler. You could hear a massive roar from elsewhere in the course, and he knew exactly where it was coming from because there was only one other person in that collection of golfers chasing down the top two who would get that sort of roar. Like I, I saw Wright Thompson making the point that actually there were open spaces on the ropes around Scheffler's final round yesterday, which are usually five or six deep that there wasn't such a coronation uh, to, to this whole thing as you would have had with Tiger in 2019, for example, that actually the, the mood was all around McIlroy. He, he was the story yesterday, and people wanted him to do it. Yeah. Um, so he, does, he doesn't have the Tiger level of, of presence, absolutely not. Nobody's saying that. But he does still have that presence, and he, he, what he did yesterday, I'm sure, did factor into the mind of Scheffler a little bit. But he started playing conservative. He started making very intelligent shots, Scheffler, and, and, and that's what won him the competition. All right. Uh, will you move on to something else? Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's move on to Robert Balakoon and uh, his couple of tries for uh, Ulster at the weekend. I'm not sure, what did you make of the two, the first of the two legs? Uh, like, I mean, I think from an Irish perspective, it was, I think we're looking back and he's saying that was a pretty fun weekend and everybody's excited for a weekend too. Yeah, the, the, like it is, it's a weird, it, I guess next week we'll know exactly how well or otherwise it works. It seems to have worked very well in most of the games. There's very few blowouts uh, Leicester went to Claremont and absolutely ran up a score so you would expect Claremont won't pick their strongest team for next week although I don't know um, but other than that like is the Leinster game over? Because Leinster have a 
an advantage heading into the top. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they they have been prone to complacency at this stage of the European competition in the past. Um, Connor played really, really well. Uh, was the red card? Uh, was the yellow card a red card? I don't know. Andy Friend didn't seem to be putting any pressure on loads of other people who are maybe um, free to speak more openly about one of their colleagues is are uh, saying that it should have been a red card for Gibson Park. The commentary certainly seemed to think it was a red card at that stage. Uh, from an Ulster perspective, like they nearly lost the game at the very end. And I do wonder if um, Toulouse had just kicked a penalty when they got the ball back down into the um, the 22 and had brought the game back some more. Or do Toulouse just think, well, we'll have 50 men for the whole game, so we're going to kill you. What's the big deal here? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, and like I think that maybe if these were one-legged ties, there could have been a few different scorelines, but it makes you watch and it makes you very, very interested in what's going to happen next week because we won't know the answers to a few of those questions until next week. Uh, Pascal Jacob has been in touch to say, Red's just tuned in, whoever was okay, the jerseys for Connacht Leinster, bottom of the performance rankings, couldn't agree more with that. It was an absolutely uh, terrible colour clash. And the blue and the green, what's the, what's the issue? You're colourblind, are you? I must be. I must be. You, could, you, could, you, you thought there was no problem with that. Uh, I guess one of them could have worn white, i.e. Leinster, right? Yeah, yeah, that could. It's have. All, it's 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 good that these teams because um, they never play each other and they never get to see this. You know, it's like it. I guess what's new? It's it's so rare that Leinster would play Connacht in the sports grounds that they would under lights that they would wouldn't have had an opportunity to spot this before. Yeah, we've we've never had a test run for it. No, um, like I mean, obviously the when you talk about like the the Toulouse situation and maybe you mentioned the controversy around the yellow card on Friday night on Saturday night there seems to be like it seems like Toulouse I think Dupont actually said after the game like it shouldn't have been a red card which is uh, it's like just an astonishing comment obviously there's a, a siege mentality aspect to it and backing up his teammate but uh, like I think Wayne Barnes had to be escorted off the pitch in Toulouse the weekend obviously there was the, the added element of Balakoon allegedly being offside for his try for his intercept try his hat-trick he wasn't. He was onside, and, and Barnes got both of those decisions totally correct. So, like, Toulouse are like in a pretty bad losers spot after what happened at the weekend, and that'll probably just make them angry next week, and they'll yeah. probably be at their swashbuckling best. But, like, I think uh, Ulster deserve a, a huge amount of credit for what they did and, and how they managed to, to utilize the the extra man. And Balakun is just absolutely incredible. Like, it, it did feel that. He was a little bit of out of sight, out of mind during the Six Nations. Obviously, it was a good Six Nations for Ireland. They won the Triple Crown. They only lost one game. Mac Hansen was brilliant. James Lowe was brilliant. Hugo Keenan was excellent. So it's very, very hard to have made a case that Robert Balakoon should have been more involved in the starting team for Ireland over the course of the Six Nations. But you look at what he did on, on Saturday against such a good team, and granted they were a man down, but you're like, you'd love to see a bit of that. You'd love to see that thrown in against the All Blacks in the summer and just see what happens. It's a very, very competitive position now, the back three for Ireland, which, which, which they're in a great position with at the moment. Yeah, and uh, all, like... Relatively young players like uh, Matt Hansen, twenty-three. But I think Balakun's actually older than him. But um, you know, it's uh, we we are well stocked at the position of wing. Hansen was really good as well on uh, Friday yeah. night. I thought so. Um, but Balakun, like uh, that's one of those dream scenarios. They just need to back it up. We've seen these performances from Ulster before where there's an inconsistency, but they just need to back it up now, and that would be a massive, massive leap forward. Yeah, it, it certainly would. Uh, the, the other element, obviously, from the weekend was, was Munster, which we'll touch on with Alan Quinlan a little bit later on, but they'll be absolutely delighted with how things turned out on the scoreboard on, on Saturday, I suspect. Just the amount of errors, the, the the way they just completely lost the battle of the breakdown in the first half on Saturday was pretty surprising. I think, 
I'm not sure does uh, I think Munster fans would be pretty excited by the prospect of Graham Rountree taking over as head coach after seeing his um, outrage at halftime on the BT Sport cameras in the dressing room. Uh, he certainly wasn't letting the Munster team off the leash for that first half performance. And it came out a little bit better in the second half. Exeter probably will, will, will rue the fact that they didn't put more on Munster, especially with a couple of opportunities they had in that first half. So they come away from that and, and, I, and I think that, that Munster will actually be deep down one of the big winners from the weekend. Guess the spreads, right? Very quickly. Um, oh, Munster my, for a single game yeah for the single game uh, I would say Munster minus three uh, I've got minus five Munster minus five Ulster plus ten Ulster plus one plus one yeah plus ten is a bit harsh they're, no. they're at home what um, but it's Toulouse yeah it is Toulouse they're sensational but like this an re- angry Toulouse yeah yeah I'm not like, maybe somewhere somewhere in the middle of there and then Leinster minus let's go minus ten on Leinster Minus 24. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. That is on Andy Friend's dressing room wall should this be. morning. It should be. We ain't getting no respect. You're going to put some respect on our name. Yeah. That's uh, like, I mean... It's, Take my rugby team's <laughs> name out of your mouth. Uh, obviously, a few years ago, it was, it was Ulster who, who came to the Aviv and almost uh, beat Leinster in one of those one-off games in the, the Champions Cup. So it can be done. They, they can get... They, like, again, Leinster did win that night, so it didn't matter. But uh, they can get rattles at home in, in Europe. It's not beyond the bounds possibility. And, and Connacht would probably have a bit of confidence from what happened on, on Friday night as well. Uh, Rory's the full forward in junior club football. He scores three class points when his team are being hammered 5-16 to 1-5 and there's seven minutes left, says Brian <laughs> Dillon. This is a variation on a theme that a lot of people were tweeting us last night. Um, I don't think it's the same. I think that like Rory McIlroy was the best golfer for in the world for a long period of time. He set the standard. That's why, as you were saying, there was that move behind him uh, and, and people wanted to see him coming back. So it's like, uh, it'd be like the dubs. You know, he, he was at Dublin's level of dominance. Maybe not Dublin's level of dominance. He, he was more like that Tipperary team. Clearly the best team in the country for a couple of seasons. Yeah, and, and maybe... Surrounded, but bookended by greatness, right? Can I, can I just... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, well, I'm just saying that yeah. like uh, that, that, that bit where this is all... It's, that's not all he's done. He was the best golfer in the world. He has he has beaten the big fields. He has, he has trounced them in the majors. Just And he nearly did it that one time, except that he found a part of the course that nobody knew existed. And that... Cause him to have a meltdown. Like he finished fifteenth. It does feel that that criticism of, of McElroy might have been, you know, conjured up in people's minds at the turn last night, and and then th- that comment could have been sent in at that point, and everybody had kind of like formed their opinion on McElroy in that front nine, being like, okay, look at him doing this again when the pressure's not on him. But then in that back nine, he kept it up, and like he puts up a, a historic figure on a final day at Augusta. So like that changes it a little bit. I think it's it's not just about him delivering when there was little pressure on him yesterday. It was the fact that he put up a crazy score at Augusta National, which obviously has given him one of his most painful memories in the past. But, look, uh, John Duggan tipped him last week. Six out of the last ten, so what's that? Seven out of the last eleven times he's finished in the top ten at Augusta. It's a pretty good record. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we finally move on this morning to the last person in our performance rankings, and that is Vicky Wall of Meath. Not player of the match yesterday for Meath, as they won their first ever Division One National League title, but I think she was heading shoulders the best uh, player on the park yesterday it was uh, Neve McLaughlin of Donegal by the way uh, who scored a penalty absolute scorcher of a penalty uh, she got the, the player of the match yesterday but Wall's influence was just incredible throughout the match she's not the same player at all but it feels like her fingerprints on the team are quite akin to Kieran Kilkenny's fingerprints on the, the, the great Dublin team given that you know you wouldn't necessarily see him 
tearing it up on the scoreboard. But when you watch the game, you're like, okay, that person is absolutely integral to how this team plays. And Wall is that person for me. Like, I would not be surprised whatsoever if Eamon Murray has completely ripped up the old cliche of let the ball do the work and actually just said to his team, let Vicky Wall do the work because she is that good. It actually is just as effective giving her the ball and letting her tear through the defence as it is kicking the ball into an, an attacker in a one-on-one position. And what it does is that they've got some brilliant other attackers around her, especially in, in those two forward lines. And you've got like Nevo Sullivan, who scored an incredible goal early in the second half. Anybody who didn't see it, she was off balance, kind of reverse, uh, kicked it into, the, into the, the opposite corner. She was kind of moving away to the left. And then, as I say, on the reverse, kind of put it into to the right corner. And then Kelsey Nesbitt scored 1-1 as well. Emma Duggan with a couple of points. And when you've got those forwards around you, and you're tearing through the defence, and the defence is like, oh God, what do we do now? You've got those players with extra yards of space. And without her, I don't think Mead would have won the game yesterday. That's not exactly a hot take, because Donegal were really good. They only lost by two points. And they're a proper side as well. It's going to be a really, really exciting championship uh, after looking at it yesterday. And there was a picture put up afterwards of Wall and Damon Murray celebrating together. And uh, she quote tweeted it saying, still friends. Right. Of course, Damon Murray slagged off the sport that she's going to go play this year. Maybe. But M- Murray did say that she's not going to go at any point this season. She, if she's going to go, she'll have to wait till after the All-Ireland Championship is complete. And it looks like they might go all the way again this year. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, certainly, and it's going to be a nice little bit of spice to the game against the Dubs uh, later on in the uh, Championship. Um, This is the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. If you want to get involved, we'd love to hear from you. The best place to do that is on the Instagram feed. There's a box there. You can tell us who you think should be in the red, the amber, or the green. A lot of you giving out about the fact we haven't talked about the uh, Liverpool-Manchester City game just yet. We're going to do a full 25 minutes on it now with Mark Lawrence and so don't worry we understand that it was an excellent game of uh, high quality and it would certainly have been in the green and we could easily put both teams in the amber because we're not quite sure what the result means for the title race but um, we are going to give that its full due deference in just a couple of minutes time if you want to get in touch with us this morning uh, 0879180180 is the WhatsApp number or you can of course uh, leave a comment on the YouTube stream but that is this week's Gillette Labs Performance Rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. It's 11 minutes past 8 this morning. You're very welcome along to OTBAM. I'm delighted to say Mark Lawrenson is with us. Mark, good morning to you. You were at the, um, the Etihad yesterday. What, what, what was your performance uh, assessment of the two teams and the quality of what we were seeing? Outstanding. Um, there's no argument that they're the best two teams in the, in the world in terms of club football. If, if like me, you remember watching... Um, Madrid, Real Madrid, that is, of course, and Barcelona and El Clasico for all those years and thinking, wow, you know, how eye-watering was that watching those two teams go at each other? They're, they're very much there now, these these two teams. So, um, so I thought City were a little bit unfortunate. They could have almost put it to bed in the first half. They had lots of lots of chances and they cut Liverpool open more than I've seen any other team do that this season. And I think the reason for that was the fact that Liverpool have just cruised through all the games, and rightly so, because they're, they're that much better than all the other teams in the league apart from City. And, and City, yesterday, the way they started, Liverpool were hanging on in the end. But of course, like any good side, uh, came in half-time, reorganised a little bit, and the best thing that happened to them was they scored with virtually the first attack of the second half. So... It was just an outstanding game, in all honesty. The psychology is always weird in situations like this, where Man City are playing brilliantly, and then they score, and then they stop playing for a little while, and allow Liverpool back into the game. And Liverpool are so good that they can take advantage of that. What is it about yeah. City that, like, maybe maybe we expect too much? That actually, when they're so clearly dominant for a portion of the game, 
we think that they should be able to do that for longer. But I guess that's the whole point when you are playing against another world-class team is that they're also yeah. going to have an opportunity to take control. Well, we expect too much from both, don't we? Because they've got such outstanding players. And, you know, if you start at 100% and then suddenly drop down to 95%, it means you're not as good. And um, the timing of Liverpool's second goal, obviously, was, was, was in the terms of the game, was massive. For them, I think if they'd gone another ten or fifteen minutes without scoring, then you, then Klopp would have had to gamble a little bit. So um, the fact that he scored so early, it was like, okay, we've, we've got a point now. Let's just take it easy a little bit. Not not as in stop running or anything or working or anything like, but just let's not go hell for leather and concede another one. So um, yeah, it's 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 good. And, and I I was listening to the radio on the way home, and, and one or two people ringing in saying, you know, this, that, and the other about the game. But on, honestly. If, I don't know if you've ever been to a game where you, you've sat almost on the almost on the touchline, and you suddenly realise how quick these games are. They're absolutely amazing, and then you know, so the ball comes to you, and you've not you've not even got half a second to think. It's it's a millisecond, and because you're under pressure, and you've got to control it and pass it and move and all those kind of things. And honestly, the the, the standard of yesterday's match was was just I thought absolutely fantastic. The, the spectacle is helped as well by the fact that both managers and in particular Jurgen Klopp are just beautifully stubborn and set in the philosophy that they want to play like so many teams if they were challenging Manchester City might have sat back yesterday played a deep defensive line and I guess that's why Manchester City had so much joy in the first half is that Klopp stuck to his ways but signed to those yeah. ways ensured that they did get that equaliser in the second half Yeah they were hanging off first half um, I was right by him and I was, I was kind of watching him as much as the game the game as well and I think I think it was almost a case he's thinking, you know, at the very least we don't go down to 2-0 at the very, very least because then I think you are chasing the game and the, and the game changes completely. But he kept his philosophy. And in fairness to Liverpool, you know, they hung on in those moments. And if you look at all their recent games, it's been relatively easy. And I say relatively easy in terms of most winning those games. And yesterday was just like, they were, it was like a whirlwind for the first 45 minutes playing against them. And, and you know, they, they looked ordinary defensively, which obviously they very rarely do. Um, they had lots of chances. I mean, Sterling's chance so early on as well. I mean, that could have, well, you know, if, if that goes 1-0 then, straight away early, then then you are climbing the mountain. But look, Liverpool stuck at it, but it was just, it was just a game to, to kind of, once you kind of took it all in and, you know, I was thinking on the drive home, it's just like, what a fabulous advert for, for the Premier League. And as I said before, El Clasico, it, it was up there with El Clasico's for me. The high line that Liverpool have been playing all season is one mm-hmm. of the reasons that it, it uh, they've been so successful at winning the ball back quickly and, and smashing teams. And so we know that it's uh, very important. We, we've definitely spoken on the show before about when you get to this level where the opposition have... Uh, De Bruyne who's playing through balls that it's yeah. it's, a, it's on a knife edge and the knife edge failed a little bit you would say perhaps for was it the yeah. second, second goal or the first goal and then yeah. just just bailed him out by the the width of like a, a deltoid uh, that, that kept it at two all yesterday so it makes it it makes you feel alive as a Liverpool fan I guess yeah listen look that's the, that's the way they play and you know they 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 gamble a little bit with with the high line, <coughs> excuse me, and, and against somebody with with the vision and range of passing of De Bruyne, and that's always going to be a problem because he sees things other people 
don't see. But that's the, that's the way that it is. I mean, if you, if you look at the two fullbacks for Liverpool in, in the first half, Trent and, and, and Robertson, you know, they had a bit of a torrid time at times. But, but City have got world-class players and, and, and that's what happens. I think the, just the fact that you... What will please Klopp is that you stay in the game. By hook or by crook, you stay in the game. And if the goalkeeper has to make outstanding saves, he makes outstanding outstanding saves. And that's what you're paying for. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just, I mean, you know, the, one of the best things for me the whole game and it was when, when Edison, you thought he'd like, he'd miscontrolled it. And Jot is closing in on him. You're thinking, oh, and he just like, it was like he had a cigar on, didn't it? He went, yeah, that's the problem. Just stop it going over the line and I'll pass it to Cancelo and what's your great problem? But, I mean, that was... Uh, well, I just started laughing. I just thought, wow, I mean, how good is this? Do you think Edison gets a little bit nervous in those moments or do you think he, he genuinely is a, oh, a cigar I, out guy? 100%. His, his, his heart and his backside will be like, wow. But um, he just he made it look really, really cool. But... And, and, and once he did it, he must have thought, mm, got away with one a little bit. But look, that's the way that both teams play. They both pass it out from the back and occasionally you're going to make mistakes. And, and in fairness to City in the first half, they caught Liverpool um, very much in a way that Liverpool would have, have caught lots of other teams in terms of nicking the ball off them. But um, as I say, in, in the end, the 2-2 and City will feel they've, they've well, Guardiola said they've missed the beat a little bit, haven't they? They've, they've let Liverpool stay in the race. But... Uh, we shall see. Uh, can I ask you about Thiago's performance yesterday, Mark? Because obviously that ball that he plays out to the wide for the, fir- uh, wide for the first Liverpool goal is absolutely outstanding. And he's been playing those sort of passes over the last few weeks in particular. He's been mm. in excellent form. On the flip side, he could have been sent off if there was a different referee. Like, Is, is that a, yeah. concer- a concern for you at all about, about his game? No, well, not really, because normally he's got that much time and, and space in which to play. No, no, I mean, Fabinho as well. Um, the game past Thiago by a little bit but that was just the sheer pace of the whole thing and it, it passed I mean even Virgil van Dijk in the first half looked a little bit all over the place which is almost unheard of and um, so no I think it's just the fact that you know both teams the quality of both teams is is just absolutely outstanding and, and there's no doubt that you know they've dragged loads of teams in the Premier League to be much much better um, and they never really got any kind of praise for that and, and I'm sure you know if you're if you're a you're, you're looking at the Spanish football week in week out and the quality and then you're also watching the Premier League it's it's complete role reversal where we would just kind of salivate at the way that the top teams in in La Liga were now it's completely the opposite and all their all their supporters and everybody looking at our teams and thinking crikey these these are head and shoulders above anybody at the moment. Is there any possibility the cup game has any impact on the rest of the league season? That if one team no. was to win, so it's totally irrelevant and separate. Yeah, to- totally irrelevant. It's a cup game. It's you know someone's got to win it. No, it doesn't. You know, obviously you'd be disappointed because from Liverpool's point of view, because you want to try and win all four. Um, and if you win two, you're delighted. If you win three, you're ecstatic. And if you win four, well, you're just record breakers. But no, it's it's it, it's a cup match, and you just. What you can do, you can just completely park it if you get beat. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the thing goes to penalties, uh, a bit like the Carabao Cup, of course, and then anybody can win it anyway. But no, it no, doesn't seriously impact. I mean, i um, been in the position a few times and it's if you win, it's great. But if you if you lose, you almost say to yourself, well, it, it's, it's a cup match. And I think, you know, 
I think if Liverpool would rather, I think Liverpool would rather win the league than the Champions League and vice versa for City. Um, whether that happens, obviously, we don't know yet. Uh, Pep Guardiola was in really good form in his post-match interview on TV yesterday. He's not always in good form. Uh, like he was talking uh, about the fact that you know himself and Klopp should have dinner sometime. He was excited to watch the Masters last night. It says to me that Pep was absolutely delighted with the result yesterday. Sure, they could have won the game, but I think he kind of sees now that they've got a bit of a hold on this title race. Yeah, listen, you know, everyone talks about Pep and, and, uh, and Klopp. The, the families have dined together um, on a couple of occasions. So it's not... There is there is rivalry, obviously, but underneath it, both of them, you know, they absolutely totally respect um, their, their opposition. So and people have made a, a great thing about it with Pep and, and, and Klopp. But um, underneath all that, as I say, there's, there's, there's massive respect. I mean, what, what, what a day for sport yesterday. I don't do Formula One. I don't really get it. But obviously, the, the, the football was sensational and, and Rory was like unbelievable as well. Um, and I mean, poor. I, I can't remember what time I got to Eddie's. Obviously, after the, when Sheffield had won yesterday, but it was just think, wow, well, that, that was like the top class sport you'll ever see. Yeah, it wasn't a bad weekend, in fairness. Um, there was plenty of other things. And one, one last question for you. From a Liverpool yeah. fan, you might be able to guess, uh, Mark Johnson, do you think Liverpool deserve more credit for coming back twice at City? We went to win, not draw. We don't have billions to buy the league like City and Chelsea. Liverpool are a team with heart, he says. Do they deserve more credit for keeping going? Or is it actually a 50-50 after a result like that? I think they got lots of credit, you know, be- be- because they came back. And I mean, the money thing will always raise its ugly head, won't it? And, you know, the next thing is, well, we're not sponsored by a country or backed by a country, all that kind of stuff. But, look, it is what it is. City are very, very fortunate um, in terms of what what their owners can do for them. Liverpool on a completely different trajectory, but what Liverpool have done is better than any other football team, I think, is their recruitment has been absolutely unbelievable, that old recruitment again. So, um yeah, and if you look at Liverpool and look at the number of players they've bought between 30 and 40 million and turn them into almost upwards of 100 million pound players, it, it's amazing. And I know City fans are go, well done, you signed Alisson and you signed Van Dijk. Absolutely, totally did. But, you know, what unbelievable signings they were. But generally, generally, um, Liverpool's look at it is, is, you know, they don't buy a complete player. They buy a, they buy a very, very good player for smaller amounts in terms of fees but they make that very very good player into a world class player and they've done that on with loads and loads of players Let's move on and talk about um, Manchester United we, we felt that, we felt that there was a chance that Everton were going to get sucked back down by virtue of the performance that they had where they, the game was there for them to win against Burnley and they couldn't do it and then, of all the teams you want to ride into town, it's the rudderless Manchester United who come to Goodison and barely tried a leg. It was like, I, I guess we, we didn't think it could get much worse for Manchester United, but we were wrong. Yeah, I mean, that that will be their worst performance of the season, bar none. Um, it just tells you the problems. And, you know, we've, we've spoken about this before and... If you if you have an interim manager, regardless of whoever it is, he's an interim manager, and players in the dressing rooms who who don't particularly like him because probably he's not he's, he doesn't pick them on a regular basis, they're they're not bothered. They're like, well, he's gone in May, so you know, let's wait let's wait for the next one. And I think therein lies the problem is 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 that it's. It's not so much the ability of these players. It's 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 just the dressing room. It's almost like I I don't know 
um, if there are factions in there. But I would be very, very surprised if there isn't, because it doesn't make any sense. Because you know, if, if you take these some of these guys individually, that they're the real, the real, real top players, as we know. But in terms of collectively, um, they play like they just met in the park, these fellas. And it's just, I, I just don't get it. And you kind of like, wh- where's the leadership coming from? Doesn't seem to think it's not coming from the manager because um, he's very, he's obviously a really, really nice guy. But he's a really nice guy who knows that come May, he's either shifted upstairs or paid off or whatever. And it's somebody else's problem. And, you know, it's going to, whoever's coming into this football club, it's going to be a massive, massive job. And, um, good luck, good luck to them. But they get, they're seriously going to have to change, change the way they think. Not so much change the way they play, but change the way they, they think. And if you just look yesterday, look, look at, look at, forget about the ability of, of, of City and Liverpool. Look how hard they were. Look, look how, how, how hard they win. They, they run and, and fight to get the ball back. Just ev- everything about it. And everything is done literally at a hundred miles an hour. And, you know, if you don't do it, you know, you, you, don't, you don't get anywhere near those teams and, and you get taken off. And there's such a long way off Manchester United. I, I'd like them to be back because I think it's great, great for the Premier League. But if it's whoever's the new guy, whoever he is who's coming in, he's got one hell of a job, by the way. Like, Ralph Raniuk, it's it's interesting you say there that he could be gone in the summer, he could go upstairs in the summer. We, we'll see what actually happens. But the point you just made there about these players not playing like a team at the moment, like surely mm. that damages Raniuk's reputation significantly, despite the fact that he is just papering over the cracks. He is just a stopgap in that dugout. The fact that he hasn't yeah. got this team playing as a team is surely a black mark against him, and re- regardless of what capacity he, he exists within the club after this. Yeah. Absolutely. And he's, he's obviously a nice guy. You, you, you sense he's a nice guy and you listen to him that, that he's a nice guy. But he's also, because he knows he's not staying, he's, he, well, he might go upstairs, so what What does that mean? But it, he's, he's not and can't really rock the boat because he, he, he knows he's, he's not staying. And it's almost like, oh, you've done me a favour, you, you know, you've, you've given me a job for six months and um, whether I stay in, in whatever completely, whatever guise... Um, we don't know, but I think that that's one of the, the problems that he obviously doesn't go into the dressing room and, and fire into them. And I, and I know, you know, they say, oh, you can't shout at players anymore and you can't do this and you can't. You, well, you can if you can if you know as a manager, temporary or full-time, whatever you want to call it, you can if you know that they're actually, some of them aren't pulling the weight. And not, well, majority of them aren't pulling the weight. So, and they're not playing for each other. Um, I think they're looking after themselves as well, which, of course, is not a good position to be in. And it's, a, what do they call it, root and branch, I think, as far as they're concerned with the football club. So, look, whoever comes in, good luck. But he's going to have to start firing a few bullets as soon as he gets in there. Otherwise, they're just going to be the same Manchester United. And and, and I think the league needs a really, really good Manchester United team as, as well. Why, why not have another one and... You know, chuck Arsenal and Tottenham as well into the mix and, and, and make it a little bit more competitive because at the moment the top two are a million miles away from anybody. There's, we, we've spoken before as well just in the last week or two about the transformative impact that Jurgen Klopp had on 
Liverpool it was a, a, a perfect timing where the, the club yeah. decided they were going to put money in there was the the rump of a good team there but he came in put shape on them and all of the signings were done with his style of play in mind is something similar happening at Spurs where they have they, they have a genuinely world class manager the stadium is is finished mm-hmm. crowds can come back they have some very very excellent players some world class players in that team yeah and they've signed two players already who are straight in the team and making an impact, which suggests that like things, for whatever reason, might be a complete fluke, have a line now where they know what they're doing. Yeah, no, definitely. D- definitely. And while he said one or two strange things, Conte, over the course of, of, of being there, he's getting it right. And that, that's, all, that's all you actually want. And, you know, you, the other thing about the, the couple of players that he signs... He's no, he knows them really, really well, and, and and they know him, and you know that that makes a that makes a massive difference. Once you kind of ally that with 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 your sons and your canes and those kind of people, all of a sudden they look completely different. I wouldn't, still wouldn't be convinced defensively about Tottenham, but but they are definitely getting there. And and you know Arsenal, <laughs> Arsenal have just done what Arsenal do which is have a really, really good run. And we're, we're going to say, oh, they're going to walk forth. They're going to make it easily and all those kind of things. And then and then they lose games. You know, Palace away didn't turn up. Um, Arsenal, uh, sorry, Brighton at home at the weekend. would say they didn't turn up, but they, they didn't really start with any fire. And in the end, obviously, they end up getting done. But that's, that's a little bit what Arsenal do, I think, since, well... Uh, coming towards the end of the reign of Wenger, that's the way that they were. And they've not really changed. They're great when they play well. They're really easy on the eye. But on occasions, when they really need to fight and make it difficult for the opposition, they don't really seem to have got it. And Tottenham can sometimes be like that also. There's often quite a lot of talk, Mark, about like how to, to man-manage a, a modern football team and there seems to be this kind of prevailing sense that you know f- footballers need to be mollycoddled and looked after and you know when you're speaking publicly <coughs> about them, you can't throw them under the bus. Whereas what you're seeing right now, like I mean, Antonio Conte was brutal in his public pronouncements about this Tottenham team right after coming in. He was unbelievably honest about the situation that he found at the club, the effort of the players, the mm. hierarchy, and look at the turn of results. And, and even in a smaller case of that, Thomas Tuchel eviscerated his players last week after the Real Madrid performance. And then they go out and smash Southampton at the weekend. Like There's yeah. a lot to be said for tough love, I think, at the moment in, with regards to, to, to man management. Yeah. There's two examples there that are working. But also, you know, what I think the key is, is, is to get the real top players on your side. That, that, that's the key. And, and if you listen to both, to both managers... They, they speak about their best players all the time. So, it, you know, the, the best players can carry all the rest of them on. Um, and I think that's, that's the difference. And listen, you know, I think, I think both, both Tuchel and, and Conte are very, very good man managers, but they're also completely in charge of the whole of the, whole of the football side. And um, I think... He's been very clever, Conte. He said one or two things and you kind of think, why on earth would you say that? But then actually when you look at it and, and results start to come, you kind of think, OK, we get it. But I mean, you know, that he's, he, the way he's been with, uh, with, with Harry Kane has been very, very clever, as in, you know, just every time he talks about him, he, he, you know, he can't, he can't talk enough about him. This fellow's brilliant. He's this, he's, you know, such a fantastic person and, you know, such a fantastic player and all those kind of things. And 
he leads the team. And the thing is, you know, the the, the ones the ones who go with him will, will stay with him and, and the ones who are like iffy in terms of performances, etc., Conti will get rid of them eventually. Yeah, good chance they're in the Champions League next year. Everybody will want to come and play for him. He's such a, a yeah. dynamic character. Then you know, there's there's very good reasons for them to be very hopeful about it. A question on YouTube, well, last one. There is, go on, I was just going to say there is, but you have to factor Daniel Levy into that <laughs> because um, in terms of buying players, good luck. Is, you know, because is Antonio, Daniel Levy... Is Antonio Daniel Conte Levy, the one player, one person in the world who might actually be able to just look him in the eye and say, this is it, buddy. Everything is here. Literally everything is here for you to be successful. I could turn you into the new Liverpool if you want right. it. And that's the challenge. The only problem is the best description of Daniel Levy I've ever heard is he wouldn't give you a crumb off his plate. So he's going to have to deal with it. But I think the thing with Conti is, I think he only signed for 18 months. Or I think the thing with Conti is that Daniel Levy knows that if he doesn't get what he wants within reason, he will walk away. So he's, he's got to then balance that in terms of, you know, players in and players out and all those kind of things. The last question was from somebody on YouTube saying, Ronaldo is one of the worst big club signings ever. Do you agree? And the, uh, No. You- <laughs> No, I don't, because, you know, you, you know what you're going to get with, with Ronaldo. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how many goals has he scored. He's scored lots of goals, hasn't he, for, for, for Manchester United. I, I just think a little bit with this, with Ronaldo, is I still think he's better coming from the left, you know, of, of, a, of a front three, because that's, that's how he made his name. And that's, you know, that's how he scored all those unbelievable goals. But he, he plays through the middle and he doesn't, he doesn't press, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't charge people down or anything like that. And you might say that, you know, in terms of effort. But but if you if you, you get him the ball in the penalty area and he's got half a chance, more often than not, he, he, he's going to score. But, man, that's another thing why Manchester United are, are just a mess. And, and that's also, I think, with, with Ranjik, nice fella that he is, he doesn't want to upset anybody. And, you know, I mean, De Gea obviously was quite happy to accept people after Saturday at, at Everton. And I know Ranić says, well, yeah, you know, I kind of agree with him. He didn't kind of take take that on and absolutely go, oh, by the way, not just that, but X, Y, Z. But he knows he's going in May, so why why is he going to upset anybody? He's, he simply isn't. He wasn't naming names for sure. Mark, good stuff. Thanks no. a million. Thank you. It's Mark Lawrence and giving us some thoughts on a spectacular weekend uh, of football and golf, it turns out. OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Owen was out with the Republic of Ireland ahead of their game against Sweden, which you can hear live on OTB Sports Radio tomorrow. Here is uh, his interview with Jamie Finn. Have you spoken about what comes down the line? I presume, obviously, and, and the obvious thing is that you are just focusing on Sweden right now, but I guess there's an incentive to what might come down the line. If results after Sweden go your way and, and you get the job done, you keep winning outside of the Sweden matches, that there is this unbelievable historic moment for Irish sport actually on the horizon. I presume that's a real motivating factor. Yeah, absolutely. I think me personally, I think playing for my country and getting to a World Cup is, would be absolutely amazing. And I think all the girls are on that same page, coaching staff. But as you said, I think we're just going to take it one game as they come. I think that's how you have to approach this. You can get overwhelmed with games and stuff like that, but it's just focusing on Sweden and then we'll go from there. All right, that's uh, Jamie Finn. You can see loads of those interviews that Owen has done with the team out at their Castlenock base across our social channels. The best places on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash off the ball. 
If you hit subscribe, you'll get access to all of our videos there and all of our live feeds as well. Ashling O'Reilly is in Gothenburg for us. Ashling, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, lads. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. We're looking forward to this now. It's um, uh, The tension keeps, keeps ratcheting up, but that's a good thing because the tension ratchets up because we have a better uh, opportunity to progress. And, you know, this team has um, come on in, in leaps and bounds. So you've been uh, traveling over there. What was the trip like? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. So I left yesterday um, from Dublin and I had to get a connecting flight to Frankfurt in Germany. So I just about made my flight from Germany to Gothenburg. Uh, there was a bit of a delay leaving Dublin. So uh, no. I sprinted. <laughs> there's yeah. not, there's <laughs> not trouble with the Dublin airport and that never happens. Do you know what? It, it actually wasn't too bad getting through Dublin airport. It was probably about maybe an hour in total because I was absolutely dreading that seeing all the videos through the week. But about an hour getting through, but then it was delayed the actual flight for about half an hour. And I knew that I only had an hour to get on the next flight once I landed. So when I landed, they were actually boarding for the next one. And I was just looking down at the gate number and I was hoping, right, hopefully it's close by. And I was at gate Z where we landed and I had to get to A40. So I was like, oh, my God. So the far side of the airport. So I literally sprinted the whole way and just about got there as they were boarding the next flight. So, yeah, just about got here. <laughs> pretty successful outcome I think to be honest I mean no no hanging around that airport nobody wants to be doing that that's good time efficiency oh well yeah that I was hoping to be able to grab a bit of food or something like that but no it was a uh, sprinting through so I'm missing my training tonight so I made up for it I think there's um proper excitement around this team and the excitement had been building pre-covid we were getting really good crowds and in, in Tala uh, for those matches but obviously um the, you know there's been disappointment along the way too we hope that the team has turned a corner it feels like there's proper excitement around the team and that that's merited. Absolutely. There, there's such an excitement, you know, bidding to, to reach a first ever major tournament, a real buzz about the team, which is amazing to see and, and rightly so. The talent is exceptional and you just feel that things as a whole for Irish football are in a good place at the minute. We look at Sweden and they're, they're second in the world, so they're not going to be going in there underestimating them by any means. But I think it's important for them now to, to focus on the game, just go out and do whatever they can do to get the best result they can. But definitely there's a real sense of confidence and positivity about this Ireland team. Uh, which I think was boosted on Friday night because Finland and Slovakia drew one all. Yeah, this was major because for people that don't know, Ireland are in direct competition with Finland for that second place in Group A, that that playoff spot. So coming up against Sweden, they're sitting at 18 points clear at top of the table. They're within touching distance, really, of automatic qualification. So with Finland dropping points, that means that Ireland's chances of qualification is really within their grasp now. So it is really exciting. Um, we looked at the results so far. Ireland, they had a great win over Finland. It was 2-1. That was in Helsinki in last October but then a one-all draw with Slovakia in Tala Stadium that was a favourable result for Finland as they were playing catch-up at that time so I suppose if Finland did get the three points there on Friday then they really probably would have intensified the pressure on Ireland but thankfully yeah they got a a, a 16th minute uh, equaliser which stopped Finland in their track so it means now that the draw moves Finland level with Ireland on seven points um, and we have the game in hand now against Sweden tomorrow here in Gothenburg. So, yeah, in, in a good situation. And that was definitely a favourable result for Ireland. You look at the goal difference as well, which could prove pivotal, especially tomorrow night, because Finland are playing Georgia. Obviously, we saw what Ireland did to, to Georgia when they played them. They've got a nine-goal cushion, as I say, and Ireland obviously playing Sweden. So you don't want to say that Ireland will be in damage limitation mode if Sweden go 1-0 up, but it has to be somewhere in their mind because it's the cushion that they'll have over Finland when they have the same amount of games played. 
Yeah, well, this is it. So it, it's understanding what to do going out against Sweden. It'll be interesting to see, do they sort of go out and play for the draw or do they go with, a, you know, that attack and football style that, 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 that they're really good at? You know, they're well able to score goals and we've seen that. Um, as you said, Owen, the score difference could come down to it. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they how they plan out. But I do think that walking away from Sweden here with a point, you know, getting a draw would be a massive result, you know, and it would put them in a good situation. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's probably how they, they'll go out. Look, they'll probably tell you they'll go out for the win, of course. But I think if we walked away with a draw, it would be absolutely massive. It feels like we've kind of underestimated Slovakia in this group a little bit. There was genuine disappointment around the fact that we were only able to draw one all with them at home. But our last game in the qualifying series is actually away to Slovakia and um, Finland play Sweden that same night. So this is going right to the wire. This is going to the, the last game. And uh, as you say, anything from this game tomorrow would be pretty good. The, the Swedes are pretty confident, though, didn't they? There's a minor controversy about their uh, jersey release. Yeah, I've seen all this yeah, on the way over yesterday. So they've released the, um, a new kit, basically, that details how to stand a chance against us. So what it is exactly is how to beat them. So they have statistics, facts about the team, their players, and they have it all leading to a website of how to stop one of the best teams in the game, basically. And it's compiled all with their uh, leading match analyst, Anders Eriksson. And he just says that um, it's basically they want to up the stakes this summer, keep things ultra transparent by telling our competitors how to play, how to win, how to maybe stand a chance. And it's just broken down their stats and tactics and individual player data. Mad. I've never seen anything like it. I, I don't know. What do you think the reason is really behind it? Well, Jerry shaking his head in studio here. He's, he's not a fan of this. Whatever you say, say not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the culture that we, we're raised on, right? I think it's, I think yeah. it's, I think it's, a, it's a pretty pretty big move. I like it. I'm not going to lie. They went out and they hammered Georgia 15 nil the day after they released it. So maybe they saw the Georgia fixture was coming up and they were like, this will be a safe enough time to release it. Have you ever seen this done before? I don't remember anybody bragging about how they're going to beat you. Well, I mean, Muhammad Ali, maybe. That's the type of level that we're talking about here, right? Yeah. I did. I did like I see, it's interesting that you said that there was like the, the data uh, scientist was involved in it because I'd just seen a, a very quick picture of it and it was like how to beat us, like more aggression and things like that. Like, like of course, I mean, you need to be aggressive to, to beat Sweden. Probably more goals as well is probably something it says. That would Jersey. help. That would help for sure. What's Gothenburg like? I've, uh, I've, they used to have a good football team. Um and uh, it kind of slipped off people's uh, football radar. Well, I haven't seen a hell of a lot of it now. I ran out to get coffee now this morning because it was pitch black when I arrived last night. But um, yeah, so far it looks really nice, super clean, like really, really clean is the first thing that struck me. Um, but yeah, really excited. Now today I'm going to get out to uh, the press conferences with Sweden at 11 a.m. and get to go to their training session. And then the Ireland one is at 5 p.m. today. They're going to be going out to their training session there as well. So uh, hopefully I'll get to see a good bit of it over the next two days. Well, listen, enjoy. Thanks a million. We'll uh, obviously be checking in with you between now and kick-off tomorrow. That's uh, Ashing O'Reilly in Gothenburg for the Republic of Ireland's trip there against Sweden. World Cup qualifier tomorrow. The game is live on OTB Sports Radio tomorrow evening. Coverage starts at 5. It's 8.44. OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. And John Duggan is here with us. John, good morning to you. Jaron Owen, how are we doing? We haven't talked about the the, um, the Grand National yet. Uh, yeah. it, it's one of those great British underdog stories where a multi-millionaire amateur talks about um, uh, his his success where they bought the horse to win the race. It's such a... He's got like... Forming. He's got a million patients, it says in the papers today. He's a, got a series of dental clinics 
4,000 employees. I mean, he's a friend of the Cambridges. I don't even know who they are. Which ones are they? It's hard to tell anymore. They're, they're, they're the William and Kate. Right. Well, it's like, oh, isn't this a hard... I didn't know any of that stuff. I, I thought when I was watching, I was like, oh, an amateur, that's pretty good. Yeah. I wonder, is he like the amateur boxers? Is he like the, the racing equivalent of Callie Harrington and Paddy Burns? Struggling for funding. No, he ain't. He ain't. There's no carding system that he's like trying to make sure that. I feel uh, a little bit uncomfortable here, guys. Okay, he's got, he's got his protein shakes. Like, good man, the Wally Cohens. They actually have proper double-barreled wear in the meaningful way. Horse uh, money can't make a horse run fast. Turns out, you know, buying the best horse can. Yeah, it's like that is oh, one way around. We wanted to buy a horse to win the national, so we bought a horse to win the national. Plucky underdog, and the the way the coverage was like, oh, this is incredible. This is amazing. It's like it's not really. It's, it really isn't. Like it's, like, did they look happy? Did, did you get a sense they were, of money, they money were totally happy? Happiness? They were totally happy. He was fine. He was fine for. Um... Anyway, look, I, 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 I don't know what to say to that lad. So I think I think it's we're, incredible. We're being cynical. Yeah, I think you know they've they've, they've gone through some tough times. The Whaley Cones and like I, I would just say that uh, you know the, the, it's a fairy tale for them. I think it's a brilliant story, personally. And great, I, I would have preferred if the second horse home had won. Ted, Ted Walsh was the trainer of the second horse. Uh, like Jamie McManus has had his Grand National winners, and uh, look, they have the resources behind them. But to identify, look, here's a young trainer in Ireland that hasn't really done amazingly in the game. He's only very young. This Mullins. part of the story I can totally get behind. Um, and which Mullins is this? He's uh, Willie's nephew, son of George. So George does the transport mainly for Willie and for all the Mullinses. He does all the horse boxes. And his son is Emmett. And Emmett rode for Willie as an, and uh, then trained a kind of a, a big winner of a handicap last year called the Shunter at Cheltenham. And, but to come out in, like in his early 30s and train the Grand National winner, like this horse was a novice and a seven-year-old. Like the race has changed in recent years, but for a seven-year-old to win the Grand National is rare. It hasn't happened in 82 years. And it's funny because uh, we had a technical issue on Saturday and it ended up that myself and Willow Callahan had to describe the last two fences. Uh, so luckily we knew the colours haven't done the metric stuff with uh, Whoop uh, during the week, which is kind of uh, funny. So nobody yeah, was going, that's Sam Willie Cohen, what, what's happening here? 50 to 1 shot. But uh, for Emma Mullins, it, like Gordon Elliott landed 15 years ago when he won the Grand National after very few winners and Emma Mullins could be similarly talented. Um, so yeah, the horses paraded in Carlo last night. Um, but it, it's funny with the English underdog story, like 21 of the 40 runners were Irish and uh, another Irish train winner and another Irish 1-2-3 in the Grand National. Right. Yeah, it was a, it was really a, a phenomenal race in the end and um, I'm, I'm only half joking about the uh, the plucky underdog multimillionaire who has managed to win the race. Um, there is breaking news this morning. It's, yeah. not, it's not so much breaking news as a confirmation really from well, the Limerick leader about what we thought was going to happen at Munster. Yeah, like the province have to officially confirm it themselves but the Limerick leader feel that uh, Graham Rowntree's got the job. Uh, he was the forwards coach. He's pr- probably going to become the head coach now. Uh, we know that Van Graan as professional as I'm sure he's doing his job as a lame duck and a bit of certainty is what Munster have needed because it was chaos. Uh, on Saturday against Dexter in that five-point uh, reversal, which should, though, give them an ample opportunity to go and win the second leg now on Saturday. So Graham Rowntree, but as Keith Wood was saying to you guys in the show last week, it's about more than this. It's about the whole fabric of what Munster is and what Munster can do to become um, strong again. It definitely makes the dynamic interesting for the rest of the season, doesn't it? When the team talk is given, does everybody... Yeah. So, team talk, you're giving the team talk and you're Johan van Graan and you're my new head coach over there and he's telling me one thing do I just make sure 
what do you think about that? Um, should I do that? Is it, would this get me picked next season? Or is, is that there... Johan, you have to leave the room now? <laughs> Secrets. <laughs> I mean, Munster have, uh, Irish teams have been known to draw a bath quite a bit. So uh, maybe there's a bit of that. Like, it does feel that he's obviously got a huge role already. And as I mentioned earlier on, the halftime team talk on Saturday was, was mostly Graham Rountree. So maybe if, it's, uh, if there's a lot of forward problems coming, coming out at the yeah. end of the season, yeah. um, he's going to have a lot to say anyway. Uh, we wish him the very best because they, they really need it. And he seems like a really proper stand-up guy who has the, the potential to unite that team. And that's what they need. There's a touch of the Farrells, such as the Northern English, isn't there? I don't know if he's from the North, but I know he's Leicester was his team. And there's a touch of that kind of grit about him, isn't there? So like, let's hope he does well. Um, Scotty Scheffler um, reveals that he kind of lost it yesterday morning before the Masters. Um, but when he was on the course, he was uh, outstanding in that three-shot win. Uh, an incredible run, four wins out of six. World number one just has taken off like a rocket and won the green jacket last night, his first ever major title. We'll talk about the brilliant Irish display in a moment. But let's hear it now first from Scotty Scheffler. I cried like a baby this morning. I was so stressed out. Um, I didn't know what to do. I was sitting there. I was telling Meredith. I was like, I, I don't think I'm ready for this. You know, I'm not ready... I go, I don't feel like I'm ready for this kind of stuff. And I just felt overwhelmed. And so she told me, who are you to say that you're not ready? Who, who am I to say that I know what's best for, for my life? And so for what we talked about is, you know, that God is in control and, you know, the Lord is leading me. Oh, my and, God, I knew it. Um, if today's my time, then, then it's my time. Ah, ridiculous. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you say, oh, my God. So, like, the thing is, like, obviously, um, it's a remarkable story from Scotty, Scotty Sheffield because he's, he's obviously lived a it's life. It's a remarkable self-serving piece of nonsense. That's what it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, it wasn't. So I was chosen from all of the human beings on this planet today to win this on the basis of the fact that I prayed more than everybody else or something. It's nonsensical. It's, it's nonsensical and it should be called out when we see it because, like, it's nonsense. God didn't win the f- tournament. Nobody else shot more than 10 under. That's what happens. Uh, only God will be able to judge the fact that he's uh, Tupac, clearly yeah. lied on his um, on his birth certificate as well. Like, I mean, his whole life his whole life has been some sort of lie. <laughs> John Duggan has gone here. The nineteen ninety six born uh, Scheffler is clearly nineteen eighty six. Um, the oldest looking twenty five year old of all time. John Duggan's gone. Duggan's gone. It's like, it's like, like you know, it's it just look the guy's he has his religious faith and it's fair enough you know so yeah but like God did not win the tournament God did not pick him to win the tournament I just I God did not shun every other human being on the planet to go I'm choosing you today to win this golf tournament because if that's what your God is spending his time doing that's a pretty lazy God who's not paying attention to what's going on in the rest of the world okay but Scottish Jeff is so important that like screw the people of Ukraine screw the people of Yemen and Palestine God's paying attention to who's getting the green jacket tonight, baby. Maybe he just loves golf, golf. Thank you, Meredith, for reminding me that God is a golfer. And a basketballer. Yeah. And he doesn't. Uh, a high jumper and a long jumper and a hockey player. And Jesus, he's got a lot of time in his hands, this God, doesn't he? He doesn't follow virtual insanity tips, God, it seems. Clearly he hadn't put any money on, on, on your... T- oh, maybe, you know, maybe God selected God Roy is, McElroy God is and, clogging and up Shane the arteries of, to, of John's brain at the moment with bad thoughts. You need to commune with your Jesus and find whatever your God is, John, so you can get slightly better tips because they were pretty good tips, but slightly better tips. Uh, yeah, well, Cantlay and uh, Peters are absolute flops, so I apologise for them. But I, everything I said about McElroy was right and Larry as well was placed. So I made four-fifths of the money back this week. So it wasn't right. that, wasn't, you, you wasn't, that's a run for your money. Wasn't that bad. So, folks, look, um, 
I just love the passion here. That's why I'm laughing. Um, look, uh, that was just brilliant. Uh, Rory McIlroy. Let's hear from him now. I don't think I've ever walked away from this tournament um, as happy as I am today. I've played a really good round of golf. Um, it's my best ever finish at Augusta. It's it's not quite enough, but um, I'll certainly look back on this day with um, with very fond memories. And, and uh, you know, as I said at the start, it, it just gives me it gives me confidence going forward, not only into the next Masters next year, but um, to the rest of the season as well. Well done, Irish golf. What a fantastic week for Irish golf. They didn't get the green jacket, but McElroy second, Larry tied for third. I don't see players of this calibre coming through. We should enjoy it while it lasts because I thought this was just fantastic. And one of the biggest tournaments in the world, maybe the Open is just as big or bigger, but this was a fantastic performance by McElroy. You know, freedom of the McElroy's freedom versus non-freedom. If he could just have more of the freedom rounds, then he'd be winning majors again. But I do think this is a step in the right direction. Um, it's just that he was too far back. Um, so they all talk about the backdoor top tens. I've been talking about it quite a lot, but I thought this was stellar yesterday. Like obviously the last shot and the last hole was amazing. Um, is it a side door top ten? Like it's not. It's not the backdoor top ten. No, it's no. It's it's impressive to finish his best ever Masters finish to finish second. Like he only could have shot maybe one or two strokes better yesterday. If he birdied maybe fifteen, sixteen, like he wouldn't have expected to birdie the last in the way he did. Um, look once again, the conditions were ripe for him. The wind was down. He just needs to dial in his wedges a bit more. But I do think, I, looking at his body language, looking at his, his, his feeling, I do feel there is a major in him. We just know how talented he is on his day. He just needs to make that two to three days rather than one day. So Larry, on Saturday, he got frustrated. Yesterday, triple bogey, battled back well, but made too many unforced errors. I think McElroy will probably take a lot more out of the week than Larry will because how many more chances will Larry get? I think McElroy will have actually more chances to win a green jacket that... Uh, Larry Will Power as well finished in a shameless power in a tie for 27th or final round 70 and Tiger Woods 13 over par. Amazing really that he just uh, lasted the four rounds because he's an obvious pain. Um, so it was just really a resilience thing for him. But uh, yeah, I don't know if um, Scotty Scheffler will be inviting you to the Champions Dinner next year, Jer, but uh, I wouldn't go. <laughs> Uh, elsewhere, me, ladies, um, celebrating Debbie Donegal yesterday. Women's Six Nations, 29, eight-point win for Ireland against Italy. And what a game, lads, yesterday. Like, this is the beautiful game. Liverpool City. I thought City were the better team, but Liverpool had the resilience. And I think Guardiola would be disappointed with the timing of the concession of the second goal. But I do think still that City have the edge. But like Stephen and Brian were describing the game yesterday on News Talk and off the ball here, it was just... Um, you don't need you don't need pantomime on the sideline when you have that quality in the pitch. Uh, yeah, it's true. Spurs, quick word. Well, Harry Kane went to the Masters. He had a good time. Uh, so I'd love to know what private jet he was on. And uh, Matt Doherty's out for the rest of the season. And I'm sorry for your troubles, dear, after Saturday. I thought Villa would give us a game, uh, but they didn't. And uh, Stephen CBG, it's like a you know he's got a bit of work to do there with their defence. But yeah, son, they they they. Gleam has come off Stevie G's has early. It, it has a bit, hasn't it? Yeah. And like he's a bit, he's got a bit of the Lamparditis, where it's you know he's he's got the tough words for the players in the post-match interviews, which I think I, I, I never liked out of managers. Um, but Son and Kane and Kulisevsky, yeah, I'm, I, I, an Arsenal being Arsenal, Owen. So thank you for being Arsenal because I really thought Arsenal had turned the corner. You know, 
We've felt that way. Right. All right, lads. John, good stuff. It's 8.56 Cheers. this morning. If you want to get in touch with us, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Andy Dunn was in live commentary duty for Off the Ball uh, during Munster's narrow defeat to Exeter. Here are some of his post-match thoughts. Well, I, I was quite impressed with the Munster front five in that period. And at the same time, the young dynamic back rowers who not that much experience in Kandelan and, and Hodnett did brilliant stuff but it was all last ditch heroics and that's not how they want to play but if we're picking out anyone who constructively made a difference across the 80 minutes to be honest I would struggle I didn't see anyone who was consistently doing their job in a constructive way there were many people who had game or try saving moments and, and Conor Murray indeed had two of them but on the flip side of that his job as a nine is to show and exercise a bit more control in the game and some of his kicking was, was disappointing to say the least so it's, it's, a, it's, it's a team with a split personality. Alan Quillen good morning to you how are you? Morning lads how are you? The Limerick leader are confidently predicting that Graham Rentry has been given the job they're reporting that this morning are you hearing something similar? Uh, I am yeah um, obviously it's it's not confirmed and I, I can't confirm it but that's what I'm hearing um, and I think it's a good appointment I think um, some people would possibly want um, a bigger name with respect to Graham uh, you know coming from a head coach role in, in, in another top job or an international coach or something like that but um, I think the most important thing Gerald here is I think it's a good call if Graham Rountree gets it because I think they need some consistency as regards knowing the players, knowing the problems and and trying to address them, knowing the culture, um, the little you know, things you know about players' habits, all that kind of stuff, who works hard, who needs to be G'd up a little bit more, um, how to motivate the group. Um, I think the most important thing here is is if he gets the job is then who his assistant coaches are going to be and changing the game plan for me because you know we got big names the last time didn't we we got a big forwards coach in Roundtree we got a big name in, in Stephen Larkham Johan van Graan kind of came from nowhere really as regards getting the head coach job so I think the most important thing so I would I would you know if, if there is Munster fans out there who think oh god why haven't we got a Scott Robertson or why haven't we got a Vern Cotter or some big name. I think this is a good appointment, a really good appointment because he's right at the coal face and he deserves an opportunity. But I, I, I think the really important key here is assistant coaches. Is there any whisper? the players. Any whisper of who that's going to be? Um, I don't know. Well, Mike Prendergast, who, who I'd be close to, was, was um, being linked for a period of time. Mike has been in France for nine years and I think he's, I've said this openly before that um, he's very well respected and liked uh, for the teams he's been, been involved with in France as regards his attack, um, racing or flying again. And obviously they have a big squad, but I think what he did in Ayana and, and um, was was really impressive and Grenoble as well. And, you know, Bernard Jackman openly speaks about that as well. So look, from an attack point of view, that's the most obvious change that this team needs. Um, and that's not just first phase or second phase. I think it's shape overall, skill set, um, decision making. And we saw that again on Saturday, the, the, the deficiency around decision making under pressure. Um, very obvious uh, decisions when when 
uh, exit over down to 13 men. You know, simple hand catch pass stuff. Um, very obvious one, you know, the Ben Healy pass over the top to Shane Daly, then Craig Casey going himself. If he scores, you say right decision, but it was the wrong decision because he didn't score. But there was another one just before that um, where Mike Haley just had to put it through the hands. Munster had about a three on one and he cut back inside. So just game management and all that kind of stuff and making good decisions, um, I think. Um, so the really important ones, and I think, look, the, JP Ferreira is gone as, is gone as well. So what Munster really, really need, and this is just my opinion, is someone to inspire this group, to give them confidence. So a lot of defence coaches I've worked with over the years, um, you know, they can come in and they can give a real lift to the group regarding, you know, obviously they, they, their work rate is very good, this group, and their desire is there and they're trying trying to get stuck in and, and, and they're not lacking in that department. But just inspiring them to, you know, with the ball, without the ball, getting up off the ground and, so they need a massive lift, really. So I think the assistant coaches trying to gel them together, and you know, I, I know you're, it's going to be hard to get a Stuart Lancaster type scenario, uh, uh, coach of that quality. Maybe they will. I I don't know, but uh, I think that's really the key for me is is the assistant coaches and the way they're playing. Is there a sense uh, within Munster at all, Alan, and this isn't necessarily in the, the, the near future, but over the next little while that some of the coaches that they've let go do come back, the likes of Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones in particular. Now that the dust has settled a little bit, there's another change in the coaching ticket. Are conversations around those two individuals in particular uh, arising once again at all? I don't know. I don't know, Owen. I think um, with Felix and Jerry, obviously, it's it's pretty recent since they've left. Um, both have been doing really well. So I, I, I doubt if that will happen. I'm sure they will interest them um, if if those player coaches were available or interested. But who knows? If Graham Rountree gets it, he's got to select his own coaches um, and see who he knows in the game and who he thinks will fit the job. I think... He will understand the frustration out there. He can hear the mood music. He can hear the noise from the fans. He can see the frustration himself. Um, and I think they have to change their whole approach, um, maybe to the media, to the public, to the way they speak to the fans, to the messages that are coming out, because um, it seems, and again, this is something that I, I feel is the situation that they don't often get the noise and the music, the mood music that's out there. I know a lot of teams and a lot of sporting organisations, you kind of have to, you know, rally the troops, be, try to be resilient and block out some of the, the unfair criticism. But I think it's gone on too long now. You have to understand that there's a frustration there that is blatantly obvious to see and it's been going on for a long time now. We've seen... Um, green shoots, if, if you like, of of some performances in the last number of years. But the same thing has been said over and over. When you get to the business end of the season, it's coming down to uh, structure and game plan. Look, to be fair, there's also frustration maybe after the weekend that like they did show incredible heart. They did show incredible desire and effort and work rate. Just look at Keith Earl's tackle, you know, some of the defending on the line. I think Exeter were in the, their 22 double digits and scored two tries. But the effort and, and all that, 
people are getting sick of that. They want more than just effort. They want to see, um, you know, good decisions and and the team having a real cut and a go and then taking their opportunities. Nobody expects them to be at the level of, of right at the top table, but the fans want to see progression. So I think there's there's a number of things that have to change. And I think that's the, that's the challenge for the new head coach. Uh, build on the, the, the good young players, the positive um, and some of the current players who you can, I, I believe you can get more out of. And they're very, very stifled and stiff in the way they play at times. Um, and when you when you go to, into big, big games that you have to win against the top teams, you've got to find a way to unlock defences and, and not rely on brute force. And so the, going back to your original question, on, I don't know, I, could you see Jerry Flannery leaving Quinns at the moment when they're, you know, he moved his family over to London, um, probably left in disappointing circumstances. Um, and Felix as well, who's probably eyeing being part of the Springbok squad going to a World Cup next year. So I don't know. Yeah, the, maybe that ship of sale for now for them, but certainly in the future, you'd love to see them getting back. And it's interesting how well they've done once they've got out of the system. It's not like they were, uh, you know, overachieving being in the jobs they were in in Munster it's clear that both of them have massive futures and hopefully massive futures involved in Irish rugby at some level so the the performance then um, there was as Andy Dunn said a, a mix of uh, old and some new and that sense that I think that one of the frustrations that Munster fans had was that the young players weren't getting a fair crack of the whip recently but every time they do they play really well and actually that's why it must be quite exciting at one level that there is a vein of talent coming through and it seems like the the pipes are finally being switched on and that Munster are finally beginning to produce their own players Yeah well there, we've spoken a lot there about the core um, a young group of players that have been kind of shown sticking their heads above water for probably two seasons now. Um, Thomas Ahern is someone I think has the ability to go right to the top in this game. Um, for various different reasons, he hasn't been able to consistently get up to that speed and that level. Um, you know, you saw Ryan Baird, the way he broke through with Leinster in Ireland. Thomas Ahern was kind of in a similar situation, but broke down a few times with injuries, probably had to learn a little bit more, was a bit raw. Some guys develop a little bit later in the game. He, he's a phenomenal talent. John Hodnett, Hodnett for me, um, who had a long time out with injury, he only came back probably in the autumn. Um, and I think he's he's someone who, you know, three turnovers in a game like that against a top English side away from home was right at the cold face all the way through the game. Um, even Jack O'Sullivan coming off the bench, who has been ha- picked up a few injuries of late, um, his impact off the bench was brilliant as well. So, um, yeah, there is some positivity there. I think as regards the young players, and you've got to hang on to that. You know, do, do you have no choice but to try and bring them through, um, and and that's something that has to happen. And you've got to build on that. You cannot just. Pre- I've said this many times. You cannot just produce a, a complete new front row of international standard. It's something props are hard to come by um, and that's an area where they need more depth and and, and, and some of the players to come through. Um, Kenyon Knox, uh, Roman Salanoa, I think they're players that have to actually step up next year. If they're good enough, they have to go there and make, make that step up. Um, they have the potential to do that. So, um, and I think, look, 
it's hard to keep focusing and, and, and kind of trying to fool people by this, but this is a reality. They have some very good young players who need opportunities. Chris Clote played against Leinster. You know, I was asking the question, where's John Hodnett? Chris Clote is leaving at the end of the year. You're probably going to lose the game anyway uh, against a very good Leinster side. The hope was that you, 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 Leinster Monster would obviously win it, but John Hodnett needs these type of games. He needs to learn on the run. His game isn't perfect. Um, and that's what has to happen so um, look if they get everybody in the field Jar, we know this and this is the reality if they had everyone on the field they're in a much stronger position um, the amount of players they were missing and, and you know two two players Zebo and Dermot Barron pulling out with illness as well before the game does not help them they need more squad depth OK uh, do you, what, what level of chance do you give them of going through? Um it's one of those ones where you think um, in previous years, I think that's a brilliant job. That's a, um, that's a great job to, to, to keep it to within five and possibly have won the game. But when you look back at the game and you analyse the amount of pressure they were under, you just cannot absorb that sort of pressure. Um, they, they broke under that pressure the previous week against Leinster in the second half. Um but I think Exeter aren't as as clinical and as dangerous a side as Leinster, so um, they couldn't punish them on that. And Munster were probably better defensively. They they made some better reads in defence and put Exeter under a lot of pressure. So you think five points is a, is a good thing, but I'd still be very, very cautious about um, when Rob Baxter and his side look at the game. Um, they're still going to come with the same force, ferocity, set-piece, pressure, ball-carrying ability. And if they ask the same questions this week, it's going to be very, very difficult for, for, for Munster to keep them out. So I think it's going to be a tight game and certainly there'll be, there will be a, a huge fight. And I think Carberry and O'Mahony, if they come back, will help the situation. So um, it's still a very, very difficult situation right. for, for Munster. And they have a chance, but um, I wouldn't be saying they're roaring certainties to win this game, which is something we would have said in previous years. Let's talk about Ulster and their win in Toulouse. Obviously held with the red card after um, 12, 13 minutes. Uh, at the same time, they still had to then go and take on a baying home crowd who were trying to get at the referee and who, you know, who didn't, who didn't manage to. And they had to take their chances as well. It's like a classic smash and grab away from home performance that they nearly lost at the end which we've seen them act, we've seen them do a little bit over the course of the season where they've been winning games and then for whatever reason a couple of tries laid on has cost them a couple of times in uh, Europe so far and they, they got away with one as well against Northampton so uh, it, it's in them to have these roller coaster games what are they what are they going to take and how confident will they feel for the return I, leg I, I think mentally Ger is the key so many times in the last number of years we've seen these kind of performances from, from Ulster and then a drop off and a, a vulnerability or a mental weakness, if you like, I thought they showed in, in, incredible resilience to uh, to get this to win this game. Because even with the sending off, they were they were thirteen seven down at half time. Um, so it wasn't a case of uh, one cruise Malia was sent off after seven or eight minutes, and that it was one way traffic. They were still under a lot of pressure. Toulouse went and scored again after that and took the lead. Um, the strength and depth that they have is phenomenal. Um, so I thought mentally, um, the way they were able to cope and stay calm and believe in themselves, 
And, you know, they had an incredible win at Claremont earlier in the season. So those kind of experiences make you a better team and take you to the next level when you get to to knock out rugby um, at this level. So, you know, the, I thought the fight. And look, Dwayne Vermeulen was signed by Ulster as a 35-year-old for these types of games. And I just think his presence on the field is making a, a huge difference to this team. And the real key for me is that mental side of it, Jerry. You know, um, you know, he might not be the standout player every week, but his presence, his physicality. Um, I thought Treadwell was brilliant as well for him. And, and I'd be really optimistic and positive about where he's going. He's improved his game, become much more physical. Um, and then, of course, Balakun. What a star. I just think this guy has, he has that X factor. He's, he's big, he's physical, and he's incredibly quick. So um, they become tougher. They become a tougher side. You go back in January and Munster were reduced to 14 men, and they were dreadful in Limerick in that second half. They tried to kick the ball away and, and, and contain Munster, and Munster punished them and won the game in the end. They kept playing was the most important thing here. And, um, you know, hanging on for dear life at the end, but that's a, that's a big result. That's a really, really big result that puts them, in my opinion, into the quarterfinals. Right. You think they're going to see this through? I think that yeah. I think they'll beat. I think they'll beat Toulouse in in in, in Belfast. Um, it'll be very tight. And look, Toulouse are a very dangerous side. But I just think that when they're not chasing a score now, which can be a little bit dangerous because they're a type of side that 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 are better when they're they're taking chances and moving the ball a little bit. Um, because I I'd be concerned about their game management when they play with ball in hand. They're a very dangerous side, and that's when they're they're really hard to beat. So I think that's what they've got to do on Friday night. Uh, okay, that brings us to nicely to the uh, final game of the weekend that we need to talk about from an Ireland perspective. Um, do Connacht still have a chance? <sighs> You'd like to think so, um, but it's still going to be a, a really really tall order. I think they'll take a fair bit out of, out of uh, you know, the, the ability to dig deep themselves and the way they reacted in the game. Um, I thought I thought the Bumbiaki chat at the end was significant. I don't know if you saw it. Um, Connacht were in a huddle and he was he was speaking to his his players and his team and you could see that there was there was something in their faces that really believed that they can go to Dublin and 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 mix it with Leinster. Um, you've got to get everything right in a game like this. And you know, I think from uh, from the EPCR's uh, point of view, this there was a perfect scenario. Um, and from Leinster's point of view, because there'll be real intrigue. The, the, the game isn't over. Um, they scored early in the game, John Porsche, and that gave them a lift. And they were ferocious. Can they do the same again? Like I said, a tall order. But I think. They'd be very dangerous. Leinster would be very, very silly to underestimate um, Connacht when they get going. Um, I don't think they will, but look, you have to think their Leinster are just too strong and would probably be a bit frustrated that they were sloppy at times. They had Connacht on the rack near the end of the game, could have scored a couple of tries, but um, I thought it was a great reaction, wasn't it, out of Connacht? Should it have been a red card? Um... I wasn't definite on it, um, and I have been. I'm pretty hard on on, on on a lot of these tackles. I just don't think he put any force going forward, and 
the referee said he accepted the tackle. But a letter of the law, it should have been a red card. But I just don't think there was um, there was a lot of mitigation there, which which brought it down to the yellow. And I think it was I think it was probably right, the yellow card. It's funny because in, in commentary it seemed like they were straight away saying this is red, it's red, and the referee talked himself into yellow straight away, and then nearly talked himself back into a red and decided in the end he was going to go with his instincts. Andy Friend says fine. Uh, the papers, the referees, and the papers are saying red and. I guess, ultimately, if you're going to make the decision that we're trying to change habits so that accepting the tackle or not, he would be lower, then it has to be read to condition people to say, you can't, you can't tackle your head up, even if you're a little guy and he's a little guy. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, and, it's, and it's factual. Um, I just think it's very difficult for Gibson Park to, to go in a crouch position there when, when Kieran Marmion um, was, was being tackled. It's 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 a hard one. It's and it tells its own story that we're having so much debate about it. Some of these are pretty, pretty obvious reds. Um, I just think it's really, really. The one thing I always look for in these tackles is is that forward movement, um, and there was none of that out of Gibson Park. So it was a situation where he was, Kieran Marmion came into him. Yeah, there is shoulder into the face, and I think it's the only reason. Look, if, if if it was one of your players, if it was your son playing a match, um, you wouldn't be going up after the game to Gibson Park saying, why the hell did you do that? That was really dangerous what you did. You you, you know, it's kind of one of those ones. So I don't totally disagree with the people who are saying red, but I just feel it was just below the red card scenario. It could have been significant um, and he would be a loss from him because he'd probably be out this week. But um, I think it was probably just about right. All right. Alan, good stuff. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. Cheers. Cheers, lads. Thanks. Uh, the two legs definitely works. We agree with that. I, I guess we'll know next week with regards to some of the, the comebacks that are probably going to happen over the course of the weekend. But certainly, if you're looking at it from the, the three games involving the Irish teams, you're pretty excited for all three of the games. Yeah, and the back-to-back was always a very interesting week and it was a good idea in, in terms of the concept. And it certainly um, it provoked rivalries. But... Uh, is there room in the extended season for it? I don't know because this is the only part of the competition where it happens. Yeah, yeah. Would a would a final where it really work very well? Two legged final? Yeah, but possibly you're going to have two very good teams. Yeah, and uh, like I, I guess you have got a couple of blowouts in the final, but chances are it's the, the round where it's least likely to happen. It does. I, I don't know. Two legged finals. Uh, I like the occasion of a grand final. Uh, like the semi finals, maybe might be the, the the time to do it. The UEFA Cup two legged finals used to be brilliant. What was the last one? I can't actually remember. I, yeah, is it around the same time as the Champions League gets born? So mid nineties, right? Is that when it stops? Probably. I don't have any recollection of it to be honest. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Brian Kerr commentated on Man City's thrilling draw at Liverpool at the Eddie Hat for off the ball yesterday. Afterwards, he spoke with OTB Stephen Doyle about Liverpool's regrets. OTB. All right, it's 23 minutes past nine. It's Brian Kerr speaking after the 2-0 draw yesterday. We'll uh, talk about that in a moment as well with Nathan. But first, I think we're starting with the golf. Nathan, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. How was the uh, Golf Weekly chat last night? Hopping. Absolutely hopping. I was a bit concerned. I was over in Manchester yesterday that I was going to miss the back nine. But uh, my flight got delayed by a handy two hours and ten minutes, I think it was. Which meant we got to see Rory McIlroy's uh, hole out from the bunker in all its glory. Though I am feeling the effects now. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was getting pretty excited for a little while as Rory 
travelled up the leaderboard. Though I think everybody everybody felt that this was always in Scotty Scheffler's hands. It was, geez, it was a pretty remarkable weekend performance. At no stage, at no stage. Maybe, maybe when he missed that third putt for a split second, you thought this is going to be the greatest meltdown in the history of sport. But at no stage did he ever look like he was going to collapse. At no stage did he ever look like the nerves, the pressure, the monumental achievement that he was about to have was was going to get the better of him. And you'd have to put that down to the form he was coming into it. And for the chasing pack, that must have been what was most difficult. That this wasn't Charles Schwarzel at the top of the leaderboard who you know came into the event with six missed cuts or the world number sixty who was having a good run at it but didn't have it to back up. Like Scheffler's played the best golf in the world for the last two months and he just kept doing it. Do you not think holding out in the third yesterday kind of settles a little bit of an early wobble? It would have been interesting to see what would have happened if he didn't. Well, if that ball had ran on 10 feet past and he misses us. Yeah. But like, golf is the one sport I always think there's no what ifs. Mm. You can't get into what ifs because it's such a mental game that if one thing happens, another thing happens, another thing happens. So, you know, you could say the same for any amount of players over the last week who hold out from certain areas. You know, if Rory McIlroy doesn't hold out on 18 yesterday, are we talking about the fact that he got himself into contention with the Eagle on 13 and then pulled his drives on 14, 15, 17, 18 when the pressure was on? Yeah, we are and we should be. I think, look, I think that's the bit which tempers my expectation that Rory's back, that conversation that Butch Harmon was willing into existence uh, on the TV commentary and it's just we we can't say that until he wins something we can't say that because he's he's capable of having final round heroics to nearly do something he's capable of having second round heroics to nearly make the cut in his home open as well like we we have seen Rory be oh. capable of surges in the aftermath of playing really badly and we're told it's a breakthrough moment and there's been no breakthrough moment since his last major really like there's been he's been very good but he hasn't been the best golfer in golf um, really since that period just to go back to, to Scheffler you weren't convinced in the build up I, I do remember you saying uh, Scotty Scheffler's the world number one but he's not really the world number one in our preview he, he's definitively the world number one right now why were you doubtful about him over the last while what was it that he's done this week that was new for you I don't think I was doubtful I think it was that he came so quickly to be world number one I say he came so quickly like he has been you know around the block for several years working his way up from college through the Corn Ferry Tour. He wasn't this superstar at 21. And he was a player who hadn't won in 70 PGA Tour events. My doubts over this week were his form on the course. You know, I think his 19th was his best finish in his two previous Masters. That when you compare him to a John Ram or Colin Marikawa, was he at that elite level? Well, if I had any doubts, uh, he quashed them all this week because he was unbelievably elite and this is one of the great runs of form that a golfer has gone on in in recent times to win four out of six events like four events in two months and all big events like phoenix you know phoenix is the course where you're playing 17 and there's 160,000 people there beats patrick cantley one of the other best players in the world in a playoff wins the arnold palmer invitational wins the world match play and beats a lot of quality players so sometimes you just need it takes time for players to settle into your conscience i guess that they are among that absolute top elite and you know maybe it's the addition of Ted Scott in the bag that here's a two-time major winner with Bubba Watson who has brought another, another level to his game but he Saturday night in particular he, he just had such a brilliant attitude you know himself and Charles Schwartz seem to be really enjoying it out there 
you know, he was relaxing himself by allowing himself to talk with Schwartz. And he was very different on the back nine yesterday when, well, I guess he didn't want to get uh, sucked in with Cam Smith when it was <laughs> all going horribly wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but uh, he is a player now who you're looking at Southern Hills where he says that's his favorite golf course where they're heading for the USPGA in a, in a month's time. And this this is where the trend is with golf, that players come hard and fast. They win all around them and then they just slow down a little bit. And you know, this nine months ago, we thought John Ram was going to go win three, four majors. Maybe Colomara Kawa still will. Maybe John Ram wouldn't be at all surprised. But we thought when he won the US Open, he'd probably go win the Open straight afterwards. And he'd probably come and win the Masters as well. And he'd be the dominant world number one. But there's about 10 players who were all at such a level. And you'd include McElroy in that. And that that is where he is right now. Is he this line of well, Rory's best stuff is better than everybody else's. All 10 of those players' best stuff when they're on it is better than everyone else's for that day. So we've had this at the Masters. Most Probably Jordan Spieth is the prime example who does this every second year where he goes on a run on the Sunday and you think this is going to transform the season and it doesn't happen. And that's the challenge for Rory. Like the stats around yeah. his major form since 2015, 35 over par on the first round, 68 under par in the other three rounds. So he's starting slowly. He's leaving himself with way too much to do. And we just don't know if he starts well, what pressure does to him. There's no question. There may be no better golfer in the world when the pressure is off than Rory McIlroy. But that ain't golf. Yeah, it, yeah, I mean, it is hard to know when he felt the pressure was off. At what point? And then what point does the, the switch get flicked? And, and what triggers that? And like, look, somebody who is a, a better psychologist than any of us will be able to hopefully help him at some point to analyse that. But you just wonder, is it going to be too late when the, the penny drops? Like, whatever. So he missed the cut last week and, and it was you or was it um, John had the stat that like um, he actually, he's won three or four times having missed the cut the previous week. Um, he, he practised a bit more around Augusta than he has done in previous years. He definitely was feeding off the energy of the crowd it seemed but still the driving let him down at key moments when there was a pressure, an opportunity to put a bit more pressure on Scotty Scheffler and just for him to tighten his butthole a little bit and see exactly what what, pre- what difference that was going to make to him. So I don't know. It's And he was the best driver in the field up to that. He, he was the best driver in those opening few rounds, even when he was struggling with the putter and with his approach play, because that's what killed him particularly. And that was the main question mark coming in. Like Around the greens, I think, again, he was better than anybody this week. But it is from 120, 130 yards that you do look back when you lose out by three shots. And again, I don't want to go into what about her, but you know, how many times was he standing in the middle of the fairway and failed to hit a green? Mm. Like there, on when the pressure is on in the first and second rounds. Yeah, and that that gave Scheffler the arm's length that he needed to coast through the final nine holes without actually ever really looking like there was going to be any issues. Um, the other problem is pressure now comes on. We just just to finish on Rory, we we did touch on it beforehand. Like he'd never come in to a Masters in a more low key way with no great signs of form. With everybody obsessed with Tiger, I barely remember Rory's press conference being on the television. Now we're going to Southern Hills where. It's all going to be on Rory again. Well, you said, you basically, the smile on your face said you're back. The smile on your face in the post-round interview said, you're going to come and the best of Rory McIlroy is returning. That brings a lot of pressure. Can't even think about the Masters because so much can happen and always tends to happen in Rory McIlroy's life from a April to an April. The biggest issue for McIlroy, as long with the pressure is, the amount of good players that are out there. Like Scotty Scheffler a year ago, he was a good player. Now he's a great player. Yeah. John Ram, Colin Marikawa. Yeah. 
every year there's two, three guys coming out of the American college circuit. When is the, can almost do what he can do. When is the next golf weekly dropping? Oh, next couple of days. Today or tomorrow. Okay, great. Great to see the <laughs> urgency postmasters. That's that's the business. That's what keeps the, the numbers rolling in. I love the way you're quoting Ronan Keaton when you're talking about um, Rory McIlroy too. Uh, speaking of smile on your face, uh, you had one yesterday. Was, was wow. You were on the sideline, on the touchline, and you obviously had good seats for the game between Manchester City and I just City went down Liverpool. to watch. I just went down to uh, watch the warm-up before the game get as close as possible see what was happening was this an anniversary uh, present from your wife as Owen pointed out in the quiz of course it was your anniversary weekend you're obviously you know how to woo, woo a lady you bring yes. her to the football and she didn't even get to go to the football even more upsetting for my wife um, yeah it was geez, it was some game I know you've discussed it with Mark Lawrence and already it was I've been lucky enough to probably cover seven or eight of these over the last five years since they came in and every time you cannot be just wowed and blown away by the pace and the speed and the ability of the players to do these magical things while somebody is coming at you at 100 miles an hour to take the right touch and play the right pass at the right time. Like, it was perfectly in line with Mo Salah's pass for the second goal. And you didn't even see it was on because the player who was nearer to him was the pass, you thought. That was the simple pass. But Salah can somehow see with the game moving at that speed that this is the pass he should make. But then you go down and ordinarily when you're commentating you're on air at that stage so you're not really watching the warm-up and you're a bit further away and this is a warm-up so again like Roy McIlroy they're relaxed there's no pressure of course they can all do incredible things but I was watching Jack Grealish and Alexander Zinchenko and no offence to Zinchenko but I would have said of that Manchester City squad that maybe he was skill-wise the, the least talented that you know you've got a lot of great attacking midfielders and uh, you know left back you sort of want him to be up and down the pitch and that's his gig the control that he was able to show in that warm-up as they were pinging volleys 50 yards to each other, whatever way you wanted him to control it, on his head, on his chest, little flick of the right boot, little flick of the left boot, 20 passes back and forth, the ball never hitting the ground between the two of them, well, except when Grealish let it go. Grealish was very sloppy in the warm-up. You don't want to read too much into a warm-up, but maybe they're told to relax, chill out, you're not going to be on the pitch for an hour. But like Zinchenko was dialed in. Grealish was having a, was having a good laugh down there. Uh, which you know, maybe sums up why he wasn't in the team. He had £100 million to start that match yesterday. But oh, it was, I, I, It's funny, the difference, again, you see when you're watching on, watching there and on television, because I heard a lot of people say the atmosphere was flat. Jeez, I can't remember a game at the Etihad where the atmosphere was quite as electric and relentless as it was yesterday. There was a real feeling that this was a, a big game. Well, that, that first half is as good of football as you're going to get where there is real jeopardy of one team absolutely hammering the other for a small portion of it and then the other team actually looks better for a smaller portion of it and there is very good finishing there's jeopardy and there's um, crazy goalkeeping it was brilliant it wasn't to be a defender in either of those teams is a high risk gig like you are constantly put under pressure by your midfielders who will trust you they'll knock the ball back to you no matter what the, what the position is and they will expect you to be able to control that to pick out the right pass to be able to ping it 20 yards to be able to ping it 50 yards so yeah the first half first half was maybe more exciting the second half quality wise was far better in terms of both sides were properly in it and it's hard to pick a player who played poorly maybe Fabinho was a bit slow at times on the ball and that allowed City in the first half in particular to get on it Jota likewise Sterling wasn't really on it but aside from that like just Phil Foden. Like, 
probably wasn't in the running for man of the match because he didn't get on the ball enough. But Foden and Salah were similar. Every single time they get them on the ball, they did something magical. Like Cancelo, you would say, had a brilliant game. Yet yeah. Salah skinned them three or four times in that second half. It, they, it was that sort of elite. You're looking at the best players in the world in their position going head to head. We're out of time. You've been saying it was Man City's league for most of the year. Is it still Man City's league? Yeah, I think the fixture list is so in their favour. And while Liverpool are comfortably ahead of Manchester United and Everton quality-wise right now, they are funny games. They're, you know, peculiar games. They both sit back. I, we've seen this before with City. They know how to get the job done. There'll be moments where it looks like they're going to drop points against Leeds and they'll grab a winner in the last couple of minutes. I, I, I would be surprised if City don't win the next All of them. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. Anything good stuff? We look forward to the Thanks, latest episode of Golf Weekly. You can subscribe now. Patreon.com forward slash Golf Weekly for your updates on that. It's 9.37. Here's what's on OTV Sports Radio today. OTV Gold at one o'clock is inside Park Harrington's gaff. It's Splunk Sport at three o'clock. State of the Union with Stuart Lancaster. Sorry, with Keith Wood at four. And OTV Gold is our Lance Armstrong interview at six. Uh, first, so uh, news coming through three months for... Uh, it's been confirmed this morning for Matt Doherty, uh ruptured knee ligaments. It's the medial uh, as opposed to the anterior cruciate ligament. So an MCL instead of an ACL, which is the one positive for him. It's obviously devastating for him in the form that he was in, but that should take us to the start of the new season. Hopefully he'll be back ready to go as the first choice right wing back. Maybe he'll ease himself in over a period of time, but uh, certainly things are looking good for him at Spurs. A reminder, OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.